Welcome to another week of the Sports Block Podcast. Excited to be here as always. Excited that you are listening. I got Travis Krins here with me, co-host of the fine, this fine podcast. Also co-host of the 2080 Baseball Podcast that you can find on iTunes. As well as this podcast, the Sports Block Podcast. And Mr. Krins, how are you doing? Good. Uh, I understand you're going on a trip here. We'll get to that here momentarily, and uh, looking forward to hearing about it. Of course, next week, a uh, lot to get to here. Um, I don't know if we if we want to start out with uh, what happened in Charlottesville. How much we want to talk about that, but it's uh, certainly something that everyone is talking about here. So let's just get it out of the way. Uh, these white supremacist groups. Uh, these you know neo Nazis, the the KKK, they uh, flocked to Charlottesville, uh, home to the UVA, the University of Virginia. Uh, someone uh, died after a car ran into a, a crowd of protesters on Saturday. There was a march and a you know, rally or whatever Friday night from these groups. Uh, it's not good. Uh, essentially, the whole country is condemning this. Uh, even if it took a few people, you know, more than 48 hours to actually name the groups. But uh, having said all that, you hear guys like Chris Long and Kyle Long, who are the sons of Howie Long, but went to the University of Virginia. Um, I'm trying to remember the, the, the kicker out there was it Novak, I think, um, whose his family was a, a, a couple of professors. So you, you have all these people out there. Um, I don't know. I mean, this, there's really not a whole lot. Uh, here in connection to the sports world, apart from the fact that where some of this took place was on the campus of the University of Virginia, uh, so it, it, it's just a it's a very sad situation all the all the way around, wouldn't you say? I would say so. Yes, I don't know these people. I'm sure they think they're right. They aren't watching it right now with their torches, like they're I don't even know what the hell they think, but. Uh, but it was all over like a Confederate flag thing, and that's, you know, that, that's to be expected when uh, the president is who he is. So, yep. it'll, uh, it'll continue here until uh, he's out of office. Well, and, then, and then with this whole thing, and I don't know for sure if this was in direct correlation to what was going on in Charlottesville. I guess, I mean, Marshawn Lynch didn't say anything, but you have Marshawn Lynch who sat for the National Anthem, and you have Michael Bennett, the defensive end for the Seattle Seahawks, who sat for the National Anthem. And it doesn't appear to me to be nearly as much of an outcry as it was last year when Colin Kaepernick did it, which uh, screams to me hypocritical. Uh, that that there wouldn't be quite as much backlash here, but I don't know if this was in direct correlation to it or not. Uh, I, I guess I haven't read or seen as many reports regarding that, but uh, the NFL might have a situation on their hands, wouldn't you say? Um, I don't think they will. I still don't, I don't know if because Kaepernick's a quarterback or why, or he was more outspoken. I don't know why his thing became a big thing and others didn't um, like we said that like he had done this before it became a big thing so it wasn't like he did it and it, and people paid attention he had done it a couple times before and then all of a sudden people caught on to it and then it became a big deal I don't know maybe it, it, once, the, once the regular season starts it'll uh, it'll uh, pick up if they continue to do it um 
maybe it's because it's Marshawn Lynch and nobody takes him seriously. But uh, I'm sure there'll be a couple players that'll do it in the regular season. And uh, I, I think it'll get mentioned, but nobody will do anything like they did with Kaepernick. Is and I still don't understand. I, in Mar- Marshawn Lynch has his detractors, but I think for the most part, more people are in his... Like, more people like him. He seems just... Because he, he goes against the, the grain of what the NFL wants to do. He, be, he, has, he beats... He runs the beat to his own drum, essentially. So, I mean, is is that a little bit different, too, in in the sense that Marshawn Lynch has always been this way, so it's more just people saying, oh, that's just Marshawn Lynch being Marshawn Lynch. Even though, like I said, he does have plenty of detractors out there. Yeah, I don't even, like, like he's not going to talk about it like Kaepernick would. I think Michael Bennett, he'll talk about it. But like Marshawn Lynch, like he comes across as... Uh, Stupid, basically. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's probably not as dumb as he looks or sounds. Right. So, um, yeah, so somebody wants to actually ask him about it, and then be interested to see his thoughts on it. But uh, yeah. yeah, Michael Bennett, that's uh, good for him. Yep, he's very he's, articulative. Uh, I mean, he he's not Richard Sherman by any stretch, but he he knows what he's talking about, and he can express it in a way that I think people can understand and hopefully appreciate. Hopefully it continues. That'd be good. Yep. Uh, by the way, just to, it is kicker Nick Novak, who did grow up in Charlottesville. So, uh, bad situation all around. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully things die down and uh, we put a quash to these uh, hate groups out there because there's just no place for that here in America. But let's go on to some more cheerier things. Uh, well, we'll certainly get to plenty of baseball, uh, especially with, with news out of the nation's capital here involving arguably one of the biggest stars in uh, Major League Baseball. But uh, last week we talked about the PGA Championship getting moved, and little did I know, I thought the PGA Championship was actually that weekend. Uh, I forgot about it. Maybe we discussed it like briefly here, but uh, somewhat surprising that uh, it came up. And another young star in golf, Justin Thomas, wins the PGA Championship. His putt on 10 is going to be one of the more iconic putts I think you'll remember or hopefully remember uh, because it sat on the edge of the cup for what seemed like an eternity. I measured it about like 8 or 9 seconds. They, Someone said 11. It, anywhere in there it finally fell. Um, but he, I think that was the moment that catapulted him to victory. Hideki Matsuyama who was right in you know, who's up there in contention. He kind of fell apart there down the stretch. So Justin Thomas, twenty-four years old, winning his first major, the PGA championship. Uh, you have guys, you know, Rory and Jordan Spieth, who I will always put above the rest of these guys just because in part they do have three majors. But uh, I, I like seeing what what Justin Thomas is did he's uh, someone who I think has become more known on the tour this year and, and golf has some good young stars that I would hope can take a grasp and win these majors consistently now I watched a little bit at the end it, this this board me to tears right. um, yeah, I, I, did, I did not care at all because there's, there's nobody worth a damn at the top of the leaderboard so um, I don't know what the ratings say I'm sure they'll be bad but um, yeah, Matt Sciamma probably going to win a major a couple here. He's still young. Uh, Justin Thomas, good for him. Jordan Spieth, buddy. Um, but um, but do you think yeah, this was a garbage leaderboard? This is terrible. 
Well, it, it, it was better than, well, I mean, the, the Kevin Kistner or whatever, that's certainly not... Uh, yeah, they're, they're all nameless, faceless white guys. Yeah, I mean, that's... That Molinari is... Yeah, just guys. Yeah, that did not that did not help, and I completely agree with that. But don't you think that... I, I think, anyway, that Justin Thomas is going to be different than some of these other one, you know, the first-time major winners, you know, the Danny Willits of the world, sure. you know, the, maybe the even the Louis Oosthuizens. I know Louis won a couple of them, but guys who I think can help transcend and be stars in this. Uh, I mean, especially Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy, we've discussed in large part of, of them. Um, but I think... Certainly, uh, I, I think Justin Thomas can do that. He seems like he has the game. Oh, yeah, he can win maybe a couple more majors. He's young, 24 years old. You know, Spieth and, and McElroy are, are the only two that matter. Um, if they're not in it and they weren't in it, uh, it, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, Justin Thomas, a guy, this a guy who's, uh, I don't know, I didn't watch it, so it was just bad. It did not intrigue me like it did the U.S. Open, or even or the Open Championship, or any other. Yeah, uh, British Open was all right. Yeah, uh, Masters, um, Masters. Or whatever. I didn't watch much of it. I remember Sergio won his major, so that was yep. something exciting. The Open, what Spieth won the Open. Right. Yep. Yep. Spieth won the Open I Championship. Think, I mean, it was like three weeks ago, and I can barely remember uh, U.S. Open. I have no idea who won the U.S. Open. Oh yeah. Oh um, God. I, I, yeah. It was in Wisconsin. It was in Wisconsin. I have not a not a clue who won that. And that was three two months ago. Three three point three point six was the rating, an eight percent drop from from last year. Maybe uh, there there is some thought that maybe uh, what was going on in Charlottesville had something to I, do I, with that. Um, no. I, I'm looking here, and it's Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka, a name Brooks you'll never Kepka, forget. Yes. For about yeah, another how could I forget seconds. Brooks Kepka? Yeah, so memorable. I forgot it six weeks ago. Just amazing, <laughs> amazing. Um. So preseason football here, uh, not really too killing much to talk me. about. You're absolutely killing me. I, I know. So we aren't going to discuss it, but we are. Friday was a huge day in the NFL because Ezekiel Elliott got. Well, Oh, yeah, I guess he got suspended, yeah. He got suspended six games, even though he was not charged with anything. But the NFL made this pretty obvious last year. They said, okay, we're going to put six games as the as the penalty here regarding any sort of domestic violence issues. And they did their investigation. And this has been going on for well over a year. Now, Elliot's representation, his dad says they are, you know, their legal team's ready to fight. They're going to take this, uh, you know, possibly all the way up to court if necessary. Uh, Jerry Jones is reportedly furious, even though he sided with Roger Goodell when he suspended Brady for four games last year, saying, you know, oh, Commissioner's got a tough job and everything. And this would seem to me uh, to be, I would say, probably more... uh, more blatant, like it, it seems like a much easier decision on the surface than Tom Brady. I mean, there, there's more to this situation here than that. Too bad there's not video, so people can go absolutely insane like Ray Rice. Because we know if there's no video, people don't care. So six games, good. I'd be fine with. I don't know, eight games a whole season, whatever. I'd be fine with that. But um, 
Yeah, NFL preview. Just I'm going to pick some weird teams because I don't care. Um, I'm not picking. I'm not picking the Falcons to make the playoffs. I'm not picking the Cowboys to make the playoffs. Right. That I know. All right, I'm just going to do that right now. I, I, that's totally fine. Uh, other big news involved the Buffalo Bills who made two big trades on Friday, sending Sammy Watkins to the Los Angeles Rams for a second-round pick and a quarterback. I think it's E.J. Gaines. And then they traded cornerback Ronald Darby to Philadelphia for Jordan Matthews, wide receiver, who, by the way, got injured in his first practice with the team. It's like a, a little slight chip in his chest bone or something like that. It's his sternum. So. That, that, that's not good, no, but they also recouped a third-round pick as well. So the Buffalo Bills, I don't think they're necessarily throwing in the towel this year, but certainly losing a, a good cornerback like Darby and losing your best wide receiver in Sammy Watkins does not signal that, hey, we're in it to win it this year. But they are pulling a Cleveland Brown, a Brown-esque move here by uh, loading up for the for the – upcoming year's draft because they now have six picks in the first three rounds, two firsts, two seconds, and two thirds. Uh, they have not made the playoffs this century. Uh, what did you make of the moves that the Bills made on Friday? Surprising. Um, Tyrod Taylor won't be, ne- won't be there next year. Um, so I assume there's going to be a lot of movement in this draft if they wanted to get one of these uh top five picks or top three picks like you think you're going to need for a quarterback then maybe uh, that's what they want to do but um, they're no man's land they're not bad enough to get a top ten pick but they're not good enough to make the playoffs they were eight and eight last year seven and nine Mm -hmm. so they are just good enough to not matter just good enough to fall a game too short of the playoffs but nobody considers them a playoff team so uh, Sammy Watkins, he's been hurt. So that's been a disappointment. Yep. And um, hopefully he can get out of Los Angeles because that's a terrible team with a terrible quarterback. And uh, maybe go to a team that has a quarterback that's good. Huh? See if he can actually uh, be good. You do look at the Rams' uh, wide receiving core now. And they do have Tavon Austin there who, I mean, yeah, he's not, he's not been good. But no. you'll look at the quarterback situation that he's had, and the Rams have tried to get the ball in his hands. But, I mean, that's that's been a troublesome area. Uh, Robert Woods they got from Buffalo. I mean, he's, he's average. They do now have Sammy Watkins, who if he can stay healthy, is good. And then they drafted Cooper Cup who is the all-time leader for, uh, for re- receiving yards in FCS until this year when Jake Wenicke breaks that by about the uh, middle of the third quarter against Duquesne in week three. Because um, he's only 600 yards away. I mean, that's it's staggering. He's got 4,192, and Cup had 4,764 or something. Very close to that. So, uh, yeah, this it, this is a foregone conclusion. Wenicke's going to crush this guy. Uh, this guy's wide receiver total. Rams are the worst team in the NFC. No way. The Bears are. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I mean, the Rams are bad. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the 49ers are bad, but I think the Bears take the yeah, game. I'll give you that. However, perhaps the biggest, worst team. The worst biggest team. thing that came out of week one preseason was how good Jacob Trubisky looked. I mean, oh, well, what happened? What happened? He was. Uh, let, let's pull up the numbers here. He had two touchdowns. How he great had, was he? he had, oh wow! He had great command of the 
uh, of the two-minute drill there at the end of the first half, led the Bears to a touchdown. Now, again, it's silly to get all worked up about one week of the regular of the preseason football, especially when he's not going against the 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 ones. Who do they play? Who do they play? They play Denver. No, who will they? I want to. Uh, who do they play in the? Uh... Like their first five games, the, or whatever. Okay, the first game of the season is against the uh, the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, this team. Tell me, how that, tell me how's, how's that, that going to go? Yeah, I think that's going to go. It, it's not going to go well. It is not going to go well. Uh, but I was just trying to pull up here. Uh, I mean, well, let, let's. Yeah, I mean, it's preseason. Uh, Vikings offensive line was bad. Uh, Francisco Trubisky did good, I guess. Yep. Um, yeah. Trubisky had 166 um, yards, had two two touchdowns. It didn't, I mean, sh- Chicago still won, but okay. Let let I'm pulling up uh, Chicago's schedule here because uh, I'll say this. I'll say this. Um, David Carr. Is it, who, 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 who is it? Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Derek what, Carr. And Olsen, yep. Derek Carr. Uh, he's better than I thought. I was wrong on him. Uh, Blake Bortles. He was bad. I'm right on him. Uh, Johnny Manziel, uh, incomplete because he drank himself out of the lake, so he's stupid. Um, and we're waiting for Mr. Fargo himself to see if he can do better than last year. And uh, he looked we'll he, he was strong in his one uh, drive against the Packers. So but we'll see what this Joker Frank Trubisky does. Uh, so Which this, I think is a terrible this, quarterback. This is the Bears' uh, first five games. You ready for this? I'm sure they're uh, easy. I'm sure. Nope, nope. Home to Atlanta. Loss. Loss. At Tampa Bay. Loss. Home to Pittsburgh. Loss. At Green Bay. Loss. Home to the Vikings. Loss. Nope, they win that one. Uh, They could win that one. I'm going to say the Vikings win this one, get revenge from last year's Halloween debacle. At Baltimore. Loss. Home to Carolina. Loss. At New Orleans. Loss. Home to Green Bay. They won't be favored in one game this year. Loss. Home to Detroit. Loss. At Philadelphia. Nope. Home to San Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Frank and uh, shit nuts from Fargo. What a matchup of great pro bowlers that should be. <laughs> That's a Thanksgiving Loss. weekend, just, uh, just FYI, so you can make Remind sure. Remind me to... Remind me to put a bag over my head. <laughs> I haven't. Uh, I haven't. Home against San Francisco. I'm going to have to cancel the cable that week. That's <laughs> not great. And then, San Francisco and the Bears play. Fuck me. Uh, uh, Good Lord. <laughs> is, there not a, is there not a the MEAC SWAC championship I can watch besides that? <laughs> Holy Christ. <laughs> Uh, that's the first week in December, so uh, y- you would have to wait, I think, until like, two close. weeks. Um, Getting close. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the Bears. I mean, that that, that doesn't look good. Uh, Mike Glennon posted a hearty 0.0 rating, so that was good for him. Um, you mentioned the Vikings offensive line did not look good. Dalvin Cook looked okay. Um, I need Alex Boone to shut the hell up here now going forward because he's talking about, oh, how good the line's going to be and whatnot. And it just seems like all this guy does is talk, 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 talk. Uh, 
he needs Todd, 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 yeah, thank you, thank you, I was hoping you might catch on to that, uh, um, at some point, it, the line's got to perform, and I get it's one game, or you know, there's still a lot of games remaining in the preseason. Uh, but Sam did get sacked twice. Uh, the line can't be as bad as it was last year, but it certainly did not pass its first real test in game action. Yeah, I don't care what happens in preseason. I'll wait until the the actual games are played. It looked good with the 12, 13 plays they were out there, and. As I said, I don't like what they did with the offensive line. I don't think they addressed it. So I don't see how it's any different than last year. Um, Bradford's just going to... Sure, Bradford's going to have a you know, 70, uh, 70% completion percentage again because uh, I see a bunch of check downs and short passes. And uh, I just see the defense carrying this team. And I uh, you think they're winning 10-11. I think they're winning 7 or 8 kind of like last year. Oh, All right. Uh, one bad news, Bishop Sankey, third string running back. Oh, darn. Uh, torn ACL, he gone for the year. Uh, Trey Wayne's injured his shoulder, but he, uh, the, the guys, think uh, Zimmer thinks he's going to be just fine. So that's that. Good. Week two preseason, they play at Seattle this week. Uh, by the way, Mike Zimmer is 13-1 in preseason games this year. So that's that's um, excellent on his part. Uh, I am going to... Th- Win, bet on the Vikings to win, bet on them to cover, and bet on the under. There you go. Uh, easy, easy, money. easy money. ESPN's doing a fantasy football show right now. Uh, I oh, uh, a marathon. Twenty eight hours. Twenty eight hours. Yep. Uh, let's, so let's. I can't even. I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. I can't either. But it makes me think here. Uh, we, we got some uh, fantasy football coming up here. Uh, any any thoughts that you have as to who? You, what? Um, I do have thoughts. I don't want to give them away since we're in the same league. I'll use the strategy I always use. Okay. Um, there we go. All right. So, I mean, so I'm interested to see where Elliot goes. He probably would have been the first guy taken. And now I, I, I suspect, I don't know, he'll probably go second round yet just because he's that good. Um, and the second round, early third, somebody's going to get a steal. I guess similar to Brady, why didn't you take Brady in one league last year? I did. And, uh, I, did. Oh, I don't know. I took him he did two. okay. He did, but the difference with Brady and Elliott, and again, we don't know if Elliott's suspension is going to be reduced. So that's the that's the key here. It's at six games. And so that's half your regular season, just about. Yep. And so if you take a guy that high in the second round, I don't know if I could justify that. I think he's going to go fourth round, but I could see him slide wow. into the fifth round just because, yes, I mean, he he is dynamite. Don't get me wrong, but if he's out six games, how can you use one of your top three s- spots to take Elliott? I don't know if I can do that. And I'm just saying, like, right now, just looking at the entire landscape of fantasy football, like, there are a number of good receivers who are just in terrible spots for quarterbacks. I mean, Sammy Watkins was probably going to be, you know, what, a top 10, top 15 receiver with Tyrod Taylor. And now that he's gone uh, to L.A., his I think his value is diminished, like, to the 20s. I don't know if I would take Sammy Watkins until, like, the fifth round. He would be my second choice at wide receiver. I mean... I, would, I wouldn't take him at all. I wouldn't take him at all because of the quarterback. Um, I mean, like, running back has just gone to shits. There, there are no running backs. So that's why I would think that unless it's changed this year, 
I guess they're just like, who? The top five running backs. I don't even know. Elliott's. I'm, I, I don't I mean, even know. David Johnson in Arizona is number one. Um, or, sure. or or Le'Veon Bell. I mean, either or. You can flip a coin. That that's sure. one, two. Then if you want to put Elliott three, still, that's totally fine. And I'm just running through the list here now of what I got. Um, I don't really have. I might take a look at that. Uh, I might take a look at the running back from Carolina. See yeah, what he mean, does. Christian McCaffrey is going to be good. Uh, Devontae Freeman, he's going to be good this year. I think. I mean, I might take him. We're yeah. not going to mention the guy who's down in New Orleans right now. Uh, not he'll be hurt by week three. He'll be hurt by week three. Yeah, probably. I mean, where do you take a Leonard Fournette in there? A Joe Mixon? I, I mean, there are a lot of good rookie running backs that. Yeah, could... I would. I, I would. Yeah, I would take Leonard Fournette. Um. If they, if they, I mean, if they just give them, them him the ball twenty five times, I think that could be exciting. Because right. I mean, they're, they it just, would keep the the ball out of bottles, is yeah, Limit the bottles. Limit bottle. Limit the damage. But I mean, uh, you just, first off, don't play him. Second off, don't have a pass. I mean, maybe Todd Gurley will have a resurgent year this year for the Rams. I think Carlos Hyde's a, a, a kind of undervalued out there in San Francisco. But just look at the wide receivers. I mean, I don't even know if I could take Alshon Jeffrey or, or um, uh, Torrey Smith. They're in Philadelphia this year. Alshon Jeffrey is a good possession receiver, but he hurts his hamstring a lot, and I don't necessarily trust that Carson's going to be able to get it to him consistently. Same with, with Torrey Smith. So those numbers, are, you'll get big weeks from them, but then you won't get anything the following week. Uh, I mean, I'll, just, I'll just take every Packers receiver there is, and I'll just run with that. There you go. There you go. I mean, what about Brandon Cooks in New England? I mean, what do we think his uh, – I mean, last year he should have been considered a, like a top 10 wide receiver with Drew Brees, but, you know, Drew Brees liked to favor Michael Thomas. And now you go to New England, I would hope Tom Brady utilizes him or looks his way at least once a series. But, uh, I mean – you, you got Gronk in there. You do have Edelman. I mean, where does Cooks fit in the, the mold there in New England? It, it's just fascinating to me where these running backs and wide receivers are going to go. So I'll try and throw out some more tidbits here as we uh, get closer to fantasy season. But it, it's very interesting um, all the way around. NBA schedule got released Monday. Uh, any thoughts? Timberwolves are playing a lot of games on the TV. Yes, that everybody can see. Yep. So uh, good for them. I uh, got your usual Christmas games and the Timberwolves. Cavs. Timberwolves are on the late game against Lakers. Um. Yeah. I mean, you know, season starts a couple weeks earlier than normal for what that's worth. So, um, eighty two games is a lot. It's too many, but they're not going to change it. Um. What do you got? Uh, conference. You got uh, Boston, Cleveland first game. Cleveland, and I'm I'm already tired of Cleveland. And you've got uh, Houston Warriors first game, so that should be fun. Um, yeah, Warriors. It'll be interesting to see if you know if Warriors can win seventy games again. Your Christmas Day slate. Uh, 76ers at Knicks. That's at uh, noon Eastern on ESPN. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Um, Woo! Cleveland at Golden State. Uh, two, uh, Sign me up, folks. Sign me up. I'll take 32 games of Cleveland versus Golden State. That's at 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC2 Central. Then you have uh, later on ABC. ABC's got the triple header because, of course, Monday Night Football will be going on. 
on uh, on Christmas Day. Uh, so you got Washington at Boston, 5.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. And then Houston at Oklahoma City, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, 7 Central Time on ABC. And then TNT gets one game on Christmas Day. How, how lovely of them. It's the Timberwolves at the, at the Lonzo Ball, Los Angeles Lakers, uh, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 Central Time on TNT. Which, by the way, did you see... Lavar Ball uh, lose to Ice Cube in uh, a four-point shooting contest in the you know the Big Three League. I uh, saw him shoot a couple times. He was bad. I saw you tweet about it and ridiculed this old bastard. So yes, it was uh, it was predictably bad. He's the Trump of other people. Because I'm great. He's My- awful. He's the worst. My uh, despise for him knows no boundaries. Uh, it, it really doesn't. Uh, but just looking at this NBA schedule, it does look like there are a lot of back-to-backs for for the Timberwolves or a lot of games that are every other night. Now, wasn't there is a stretch in March where they, like there's a whole week that they have like a, it's a, essentially a bye week for them. I know the NHL implemented this last year. I want to say, or maybe it's been going on for a couple years. But uh, I mean, why why are you? Wasn't the whole point to try and avoid the back to backs? And now here you go. You have a lot of what looks like a lot of games that are either every other night or you have. Uh, a lot of back-to-backs. I'll count them up here for the Timberwolves, but just glancing over it, I counted at least 10. Yeah, they're supposed to limit that. They're supposed to limit the four games in five days. Um, like that week in March, I'm sure that's going to help, I suppose. If what, what do they got? Two games that week, or what, what is it? What I, is that? I, I, I will bring that up here, because I think it's only... I don't think they have any games. Uh, it's over the Summit League tournament. That's why I, I, I noticed yeah, it. No, yeah, I mean, that's... I would prefer to play at least a couple games that week. I would not want. I would not want an entire week off. That's a bit extreme. So, especially when you have a week off for the All Star break, which is in February. Here we go. Yep, they don't have a game uh, Friday. They are at Utah, Friday, March 2nd. Their next game, then, is Thursday, March 8th, home against Boston. That And then their next game is Sunday okay. against Golden State. Th- this, to me, makes no sense. Yeah, four or five days off, that would not have happened in the old schedule. So maybe that's good for them. Um, but then you look, then you yes. look at this. I mean, I see two back-to-backs in March. You have 17th and 18th. Uh, they're at San Antonio and then home against Houston. But then, and you then you look at that. They have a game on March 20th, then a game on March 23rd, March 24th. So another back to back, and then the 26th, and then the 28th, and then the 30th. Like I get, at least you have a day off. And they, I'm they're, fine every day off. If it's every other day, I'm fine with that. It I'm is. That. I mean, it's not the four games in five days like they had had. You know, that's like some teams have had previously. But is yeah. is that what they were asking for with with the amount of rest? I guess they when I was thinking that I didn't I still wasn't thinking they were going to be getting as many back to backs as uh as, as I'm looking at the schedule. I mean there's one in February. Uh there there's January. I mean it is every other day they do have one back to uh two back to backs in January. I, I was just a little surprised by that. I thought when they said more rest there would be a little more rest like two days in, in between some games and not just this every other 
Well, there's only eight back-to-backs. There's six months in the season, so that's not too bad. Well, that that's just what I, that's what I've just seen so far. They have two in uh, December, and let's let they have one in October, I think, and in November they have three, three in November. And maybe every team has this. Of course, I, I mean, I haven't looked through the league or the calendar, and I won't. And they have one in October. So it just seems to me, if we, we add that up, that's about a dozen back-to-back games. And I thought they were trying to avoid more of those in terms of, you know, like, the whole rest uh, scenario. I don't know what the number was, maybe 20 last year, so I'm sure it's down. Yes. Uh yeah, they have these teams play their guys when there's a nationally televised game. That's what they want. So I don't really care anyways. Um, yeah, give them more refs. Give them another couple of weeks. LeBron, he'll take up the entire month of March anyway because LeBron needs or LeBitch needs his rest. So um, <laughs> you got to be rested up there for those playoffs when you're playing, uh, you know, four games in the span of four weeks. So uh, not anybody can do that. Not anybody can uh, get their ass kicked against Golden State year after year. So uh, rest is needed. LeVar Ball. And, uh, yeah, LeVar Ball, the, the black trump. Uh, yeah, so uh, let's see what's going on here. Uh, MLB here. Uh, any, anything, oh, else regarding, anything else regarding the NBA schedule? No. Okay. Uh, MLB here. Oh, one thing, one thing, yeah. one thing. I think I said this yesterday. Uh, game four of a playoffs game on TBS is going to be the same as opening day in TNT. So, TBS, TNT, baseball playoffs, and first day of the season for basketball. So. Now, though, TBS has the NL this year, I believe, correct? Yep. So, Dodgers versus Cubs or something like that. Which could, I mean, that'll boast big ratings for them. Sure. Uh, well, here, about ratings, 8 million people watch the Hall of Fame game between the Cardinals and the Cowboys. Yeah. I'm pretty sure 8 million people is more than has watched any non-World Series baseball game and any non-NBA Finals NBA game. I, I think that, I, I don't think there's been a, a playoff game that had 8 million people watch. Maybe Conference Finals. Uh, there's no baseball game that had 8 million people watch outside of the World Series. That's amazing to me that 8 million people would watch a scrimmage um, rather than a playoff basketball or baseball game. That is astounding to me. Uh, Indians win again on Monday night, so they are they're rolling right now. They come play the Twins for three in Target Field. Twins need to win at least two of three in the series. But the big story last week uh, happened on Saturday night, late Saturday night, after a, a lengthy rain delay, and the the Washington Nationals are playing the San Francisco Giants. Which that's I thought you were talking about something else. Remind me, remind me. Oh, did did you have something else? We could get to yours first. Yeah. Just continue what, say what you said, but then stop before you say Bryce Harper. Okay. Uh, the so Washington's playing San Francisco, and the game. Oh, was, okay. Well, you had me. Had killed. Saturday night, there was a, a lengthy, lengthy rain delay on Saturday night. You said yes. Yes, there was. The, the place was Mitchell, South Dakota. Oh, yes. Um. It was the semifinals of the amateur tournament. Final of the final four teams. Uh, games were scheduled 
that night at five and after that uh, five o'clock game didn't get going until close to eight thirty or eight o'clock and that was a three-hour game so the last game was uh, between Alexandria and Harrisburg and that started at about 11.38 in the p.m. Wow. And didn't get done didn't get done until about uh, 1.35 in the p.m. or in the a.m. Two-hour game that, and uh, somebody somebody on this podcast had to call that game at 1.30 in the morning. There you go. How did, how did, you, how did you like that? How, how many people were there for the start of the first pitch of the 8.30 game, how many then were there for 11.30 and how many were remaining at 1.35? I got there at the ninth inning of the first game. Alexandria is about 10, 12 miles from Mitchell. They're the best team. They ended up winning the title for the second straight year. So this they is draw the biggest Alexandria, crowd. Minnesota. No, this is Alexandria, South Dakota. This was the best team, biggest crowds, uh, there was a good crowd on hand for a midnight baseball game. There were, I would guess, at least 100 people there. I would okay. guess maybe more. When uh championship game, I, was, I don't know, 500 is too much. But uh, whatever whatever the stadium, and they, they all line up, first base, third base, uh, grandstand is full. Great crowds for them. So late baseball yesterday. That's that's awesome. Very. And then, uh, so how much? So when did you get home? And how much sleep did you get? Probably went to bed at two o'clock and uh, didn't have to do anything Sunday, so I slept until I woke up. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I was, I was just it was raining. I was just waiting around. This game, okay, game's probably going to start at eleven. Oh, now it's eleven thirty. All right, and it was a one nothing game. It was the best game of the tournament. One nothing. Zero zero in the eighth. A on paper, it was a great pitching matchup, and that's what it became. It was a very good game. That's excellent. Uh, I mean, so for beat one nothing, I mean, you guess the game. It only took then a couple of hours. That that's very good. Two hour game. Um, each team had four hits. Sacrifice fly to center field in the eighth. Won it. Uh, Trevor Vermillion, former South Dakota State pitcher. Um, he's won 38 games in a row, so that's a lot. That is. Um, he struck out 11 guys. Uh, a guy for Harrisburg. He went to Wichita State. He's from Sioux Falls. He struck out nine guys. He pitched as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. It's a great pitching matchup. Would you say this guy who has won 38 straight games is a Zach Britton of starting starting pitchers? Mm. Sure. You know, he was at SDSU when we were there. He was their closer. Um, he's now a starter. I don't know why he's not with a minor league team of some. He doesn't throw hard, but he's a right-hander, uh, sidearm. Um, he's great in college. He's great, obviously, as an amateur baseball player. Um, yeah, he hasn't lost in like five years. So, um, he would have like twins. I think twins could use him. Just interesting to see how good he would do. Because, um, because he kills these other guys. So. Very good. That other rain delay, apart from Mitchell, happened in our nation's capital. Uh, San Francisco and Washington, uh, they're playing. And, 
what complicates matters here first off, it, it, they, the, the game started late, but they had been they had been rained out on Friday night. And it's not like you have a short distance uh, between one another that you can easily make up this game, especially so late in the season. I mean, San Francisco and uh, Washington, D.C., for those who are perhaps geographically challenged, is about 3,000 miles apart. Long ways away. Yes. So they already had a, a doubleheader scheduled on Sunday. So they're playing this game late. Uh, but this backtrack here. This is the same Washington Nationals that delayed a game just about three hours with the Atlanta Braves earlier this season, and it never rained during that three hours. So their their judgment when it comes to playing baseball and the elements is uh it, it's it's not good, I would say. It's very poor. Uh, Bryce Harper trying to run a ground ball out here in the first inning and he slips on the bag and his knee you know, like buckles and it looks bad. He just flops in the air like a fish and it I'd like to say it was bad. And you know, they're thinking, oh, okay, you know, dislocated kneecap, maybe you know there's a torn ACL, there's a meniscus, something like that. Like he's done for the year. Fortunately, it's just a very deep bone bruise. He is out indefinitely but they avoided injury now, or avoided serious injury. And now all the talk starts to come about about, hey, what does Major League Baseball need to do regarding bases? And, you know, they're wet bases. And, you know what? Baseball is playing in the rain, and this is not the first time that I'm sure Bryce Harper's ran on a wet base. But, considering the circumstances involved here, I, I'm a little surprised that, uh, that the the base looked as wet as it did, because I would think you would be able to cover it up, you know, when you put the tarp out on the field, and uh, so I was a little surprised at that, but kind of like what happened when Buster Posey got ran over and fractured his leg a few years back. Then Major League Baseball said, "Hey, we have to protect catchers from these home plate collisions." Is a rule going to be brought up now? Is it going to be the Bryce Harper rule, or is ba- Major League Baseball going to do something about the bases? I don't think so. Um, he's running pretty hard. Maybe slow down. I mean, I don't know. Bases got it. I mean, they're going to be wet if there's a little bit of rain out there. And he was going crazy. So maybe don't go as nuts as he did. Maybe. I mean, these teams are not important for Washington right now. So maybe just be more aware of, all right, it's rainy. We're playing the last place team in the league. We're ahead in our division by a dozen games. Maybe let's not act like it's game seven of the World Series here. I would say... That would require um, Washington to actually win a playoff series. What a shot. Um, I would say Bryce Harper... Don't uh, rain when, when it's raining. Don't go absolutely nuts. Don't uh, don't do that. And don't get hurt. Don't the Washington Nationals though deserve part of the blame for this? Did they not wipe off the bases, or what did they? Well, yeah, not, I mean, they got to make sure the bases are. They got to make sure the bases are clean. Especially when it's your star player. First, second inning. Yes, it was. Uh, you got to make sure. You got to make sure. And and I, they have to be in in you know conjunction with the San Francisco Giants and Major League Baseball regarding starting the game. 
But as I mentioned, this is the same team that delayed a game against the Braves for almost three hours with no rain in sight. So they they don't seem to have a great grasp of this. Sounds like her president. Ouch. Um, He doesn't have a great grasp of life. Your words, not mine, but yeah. Mm. Oh, quote me. Travis Crin <laughs> says the president's a piece of shit. That's what I think. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, you just gotta be be more aware. I mean, mm-hmm. it's wet. Good for him to hustle. Like you to hustle. Um, we're playing San Francisco here in the middle of August. I mean, you can you put it in. I don't know. First gear for once. The Twins had a oh, recent week. They go six and one. Should have been seven and zero oh if the bullpen wouldn't have been just horseshit. Um, when they go six and one, they they take care of the Brewers. Brian Dozier is a a man amongst boys. Essentially, he's, he's turning it on right now. And I mean, the Twins now are right back in the wild card race here. Uh, Half game back of the Angels. Yeah, the Angels. I, oh. I, this is the year I was hoping Mike Social would get canned, and here he's probably going to last longer. Disappointment. I mean, you got Seattle right there. Um, again, Baltimore. All, I mean, basically, all the teams you talked about last week are still in there. Except now the Twins, instead of being like two and a half, three and a half back, they led the wild card going into Sunday. So, uh, very exciting. When football season starts and the baseball team is still playing meaningful games in the middle of August when you got 40 games left. So they got, uh, they probably got their toughest week left this week against Cleveland and Arizona. Yep. Um, after this week, I don't say it's clear sailing, but it is much easier. They have a five game series with Chicago next week. They play Toronto, who's, uh, you know, we've seen Kansas City go on a run. We've seen the Twins go on a run. Angels have won six and seven in a row. Um, Toronto started terribly, then got back to about 500, and it's just kind of settled like four and a half back. Um, Toronto, if they could get going, maybe they win six, seven in a row, get themselves back in the race. Uh, Baltimore's been hitting the hell out of the ball this month. They've... Uh, best hitting team in the American League the first two weeks of August, so it's very exciting. Uh, none of these teams are good. They're all a game or two below or above 500, but um, I didn't like the wild card when they first had it, but now I do because the Yankees are like three up on these teams, and the Yankees are probably hosting the wild card game, and it gives all these other teams something to root for. I mean, Seattle hasn't made the playoffs since 2001, been 16 years for God's sakes and um, without this they're five games back with this they're like a game back so it's good for these teams to be in contention and you know when the Twins traded you know Jaime Garcia after one start uh, that when they had acquired him from the Braves and they traded him to the Yankees and they trade Kinsler to they're, they're closer to the Nationals it looked like the Twins were waving the white flag saying, hey, we're done with this season. Uh, we're going to try next year. And all, all of a sudden, here they're right back in it. I mean, uh, Irvin Santana's thrown a couple of, com- uh, uh, at least one complete game. He's played, he's pitched really well. He pitched well again on Sunday. Uh, you know, Bart- yeah. Bartolo, who threw a complete game a couple weeks ago, and then threw, what, seven yeah. shutout innings against the Brewers on, uh, right. on you know, on Wednesday, I believe. He was unreal. So, 
the Twins are playing really well, and it helps that Kansas City's slumping a little bit. Tampa Bay has fallen off the tracks. So they're, they're falling on hard times. They're not saying that the Twins aren't going to go down a, a bad streak here sometime soon, but right now the Twins are playing some uh, really good baseball and just being in the wild, uh, the thick of it for the wild card, it's very encouraging to see. Very fun to see. The uh, starting pitching in this streak has been less than ideal outside of the fat man. Um, you had Diedrich Hens, one of those guys that came up with the Yankees. I know. He did okay for an inning or two. Paul Molitor pulled him in the third inning. So he went two and a third innings against Milwaukee, and the bullpen took it from there. Uh, Dylan G uh, from the Mets, he's done well in long relief. He threw four innings the other day in long relief. He threw a three-inning uh, outing the other day. He's been a good surprise. So uh, the bullpen has been very good, or it's been very bad. There's no in the middle. And right now they're in a hot streak. And um, the bullpen, I mean, the bullpen's why they lost the one game they've lost in the past eight, nine days. So, bullpen does well. I think they're going to be fine. Offense was rolling. Uh, Eddie Rosario was the player of the week. He had a lot of home runs. Twins had a five-home run game against Milwaukee. Our friend Byron Buxton actually looking like he might be good. Um, he's hitting 367 his last 18 games. So, if he can keep this up, he maybe can hit 250 uh, for the season. I'm 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 getting close to saying he's turning it around. It's getting there. I need to see for the rest of the season, and he needs to start well next year. He's very close to being a a decent hitter. And what a catch he had was that Friday night. Uh, I mean, to to run one way and then the other, and then make a diving catch, unreal there on the warning track and. And you had mentioned this the other week about how, because I was getting on him a little bit for not making some of these catches, and you said, "Well, he's getting to the ball, and very few other outfielders can make, you know, can get to the the ball that as fast as he can." And this ball that he caught on Friday night absolutely, absolutely makes that hammers that point home because that was on a rope. That's not a pop up that he's running to get, or I mean, he has to make a split-second decision, goes one way, tracks the ball the other way, and that ball is coming in. Like That's got some heat on it. That's coming down fast. That was an unbelievable catch. That's one of the catches of the year, I must say. There's maybe two center fielders that could do it. Um, Billy Hamilton's very fast in Cincinnati, and uh, the Braves, Ender Inciarte, also very fast and a good defender. I think he made the all-star team this year. Those, I think, are your three best uh, center fielders. They're pretty good. Mookie Betts, Boston's pretty good. Uh, Buxton should win a gold glove. I would be very disappointed if they don't vote for him uh, for a gold glove. But if he can just be a average hitter, if he can be an above average hitter, um, then he can be an all-star, then he can be a top 10 player because uh, his defense is great. And I think that speed and defense are... He's only 23. So he can sustain that, I think, for a good five years. Um, so if he can hit like 270 and have an on-base percentage of like 330, um, he's an all-star. So it's uh, we're getting closer. Yes. That's good. Yes, we are. Who is your obscure pitcher or hitter? Of the mm. Who is it? Let's see. Um... Oh, this guy 
guys, I'm probably heard about this guy, the Rockies pitcher that's back from cancer. Yes. Pitched on Monday. Bettis. Chad Bettis. So he's back. Some people have heard of him. Uh, there's some guys getting called up now. Who's a random son of a I'll give you a random, random bastard uh, with the Twins. Um, Trevor Hildenberger. You ever heard of Trevor Hildenberger? I have not. He's with the Twins. He got the save on Sunday. Uh, kind of a Trevor Vermillion type side armor. And um, he was very good. He doesn't throw hard. Gets a lot of swings and misses. Got a four-out save on Sunday. So uh, let's go with Trevor Hildenberger. Twins guy, and I'm liking the Twins bullpen. Uh, they've got some guys now. They've got four guys that I like that I think can be on the team next season. So, which is a big difference from where I thought they were at the beginning of the year when they had maybe two guys. So, they've got more bullpen guys now, and uh, it's coming together. So. Very good. Anything and, we can? Yeah. Yeah, Royce Lewis, the number one pick a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Royce Lewis. He's now in Class A, Cedar Rapids. So, um, I mean, that's, he's 18 years old. He is already in A ball. So, that is uh, very impressive. Final, final thing I have, and then we can get to whatever you have. Uh, last week we talked about the uh, Jackrabbit men's non-conference schedule. Oh, yes. The women released their non-conference schedule here uh, last week, and it is remarkable. Uh, you look at this; they play what teams that nine teams that were in uh, the turn or postseason play last year, and it's highlighted. Uh, they, they go down to Cancun again, or the, I think it is. But I mean, they go to George Washington. That George Washington's a good squad. They go to Green Bay. That's a good squad there. Uh, Northern Iowa was a, a tournament team last year. Probably shouldn't have been, but that's beside the point. But December third and sixth. Louisville and Oklahoma back-to-back games in Brookings. That is phenomenal. That is without question the highlight of this uh, of this non-conference schedule. Although, oh, by the way, they're also in uh, at Florida Gulf Coast as well. Uh, when do you have that up right now? I do. I do. When is that? Is that a like a like a Wednesday, Saturday, a Tuesday, it, Friday. It is a it is a, a a Sunday, Wednesday. So Louisville, Louisville, and Oklahoma. Yep, a Sunday, Wednesday. I'm glad they didn't schedule that on Saturday because there might be a football game that day. Oh, Travis, um, this is this is terrible. I think this is the um, this is a Chicago, San Francisco on December. 3rd. Oh, how can you awesome. how can you walk, go watch Louisville, South Dakota State when San Francisco's playing uh, Travis Trubisky and the Chicago Bears? Who do, the, who do the Vikings play that week? Who do the Vikings play on December whatever? Uh, um, I, would, I would like to go Carolina. to that. What uh, noon? Noon. Well, maybe, and uh, I assume the Louisville games at two. I the, the 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 time is yet to be determined. I'll get the Vikings here just to make well, sure. Well, if they're but... smart, if SDSC is smart, that's a four o'clock game, so people can watch that. So that could be a, a Cubbies watch the Vikings and then watch the women play because I'd like to go to at least one of those games because mm-hmm. uh, I mean yeah they I mean Penn State uh, amazing a couple of years ago uh, Notre Dame I went to have I mean, I think that's the last game I went to Notre Dame because outside of UConn, that's the best team in basketball the last five years, and that's um, awfully impressive. And uh, 
very close to making the tournament with an at-large bid last year. Um, you got two teams at home that are always good. If you beat one of those, that might be your difference between you and Northern Iowa. So, because um, that was apparently the big, the big thing that uh, that I found out that was they didn't have that great win. So, beat one of those two teams at home, and maybe uh, I mean they're going to win the conference anyway. You would think, but if not, maybe that's the difference between maybe getting a getting a ten seed or something like that. Yep. Uh, by the way, December third. Now that I'm thinking about it, is actually going to be at Atlanta. Uh, I am. Co- confirming that here, but I believe that that is at Atlanta, and then Carolina is the week after. So my apologies to those who, uh, the, you know, to those who were you know, thinking I got the NFC South teams mixed up. I, I, I humbly uh, apologize and hope you can accept said apology. And they've also got uh, what they got. They always play Green Bay. They always they they can never beat the the Phoenix. They're always in the tournament. Yep. Um, just Wichita State, I think, was one another another one of those bubble teams. I think from last year. Yep. Um, Which, yeah, they, and they, they beat always, Wichita State down in Wichita State last year. They go to Drake. They go to Creighton. Uh, so a, a heavy. I know. I know Wichita State's no longer in the Missouri Valley, but it is a very heavy sort of Missouri or the regional uh, flavor. Uh, it's interesting how. The men and the women were in that same situation of, you know, IUPUI left town until they have two games to fill. And uh, the men have a garbage schedule. You know, they're a very good team, but, but, the, but the low end of the men's schedule is atrocious. Well, the, and the women don't, the women have, what, maybe two games that are not ideal? I assume one of them is, one of them is a makeup. Yeah, so, they, they do. They do play. The, I saw. The, let's where where is that at? They do play Dakota Wesleyan uh, January sixteenth. Uh, that is. I'm sure that, that I, is I, I gotta believe that. I mean, that's the makeup game right there, January sixteenth. Oh, it, it absolutely is. I mean, I mean, they're NAIA. Um, they were number one in the country. Um, so I, mean, so I think they, they played them in an exhibition last year. And I mean, Dakota Wesleyan's a good team. Obviously, number one team in the country for a time, um, but NAI. But I mean, that's not awful. I mean, that's not presentation. That's not they, all these other crap. They, they teams, do so. play Moorhead and Northern State. I'm not sure if uh, both are pre are uh, exhibition games or if just one is. Given the circumstances, I'll give them two bullshit games instead of one, not the five that the men have. Okay, but okay, but to be fair here. Uh, it's a lot easier for the women to get teams like Louisville and Oklahoma to come oh, to Frost shit. Arena in large part because women's basketball is built around like you want to go to places where there's an atmosphere in part uh, you also want to play good competition but that's what SDSU has I mean that's why they're able to do these home and home games because I, I remember when I watched a little bit when they played Arkansas and there's no one in that building I don't know what they had last year for Louisville or when they had to go to Oklahoma but I think it it's going to be great. For Louisville and Oklahoma, yes, the level of competition isn't the same against South Dakota State as it is going to be in the ACC with some of your top teams like a, um, you know, like you know, Baylor in the Big 12 or a Syracuse in the ACC, a North Carolina, a Duke. But the atmosphere is different than almost anywhere else that you're going to be in the country for a women's basketball game, I would have to imagine. No doubt, right there. And then when they put in 10,000 people in Sioux Falls, 
we've been there for all the games. It's it's the best. That's why we go to the games. All I ask is for the men. Could you? I don't know. Could you schedule? I don't know. They play. Do they play Missouri State? I think they do, and that's down at the Pentagon. I mean, play play those teams. There's, there's plenty of Missouri Valley teams. Well, I mean, yeah. there's plenty of play teams the in, in the. Uh, yeah, plenty. Of, sure, Drake's bad, but they're a team. Play play Horizon League team. Play somebody. Don't be playing all. I mean, I'll give you two. Don't play five. Presentation Concordia. Um, all these other teams, not good. Not good. I mean, Alabama and that's Alabama and M to me is a Division two team. That's bad. They to give them credit to give the men credit again. They are playing Ole Miss. They are playing Wichita State, Colorado, and Kansas. I foresee now that the league will now won't have to scramble with IUPUI next year. I do think that they'll have a good, uh, just as good, a, a better non-conference schedule next year. But they did have to scramble a little yeah. bit this year. So I'm willing to give them a little slack. But they did get some really good competition in there. Yeah, I mean, the women are great. The women are great. Yes. Um, I'm done uh, with my end. You are going on a trip, though, here this week. Uh, yep. Tell the folks here. It sounds like a very interesting trip. Uh, a baseball trip with with the folks. We're going to watch the baseball games. We're going to see the Fat Man pitch on Tuesday against Cleveland. That should be fun. Uh, then we go to the uh, Brewers game on noon, 1 o'clock, whatever the hell it is, on Wednesday against the Pirates. They're both in the mix. Brewers two games back. Pirates three games back in the division, so that's good. Cubs, Cubs Reds on Thursday afternoon. Wrigley Field is the draw there. That should be great. Uh, Friday, Detroit and uh, the Dodgers. Dodgers think they're going to win 110 games. So that's fun to see all their guys. That should be good. Uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame on a Saturday. I added a uh, game on Sunday in Cedar Rapids. See the Beloit Snappers take on the Cedar Rapids Colonels because Royce Lewis, first round pick, has been called up. He was called up on Sunday. He went four for five, so that's good. So as long as we're coming back that way. I like to stop and see him. So, now, trip. Yeah, it sounds awesome. It really does. Uh, for this, like, are you going to have a chance at any foul balls, at any uh, uh, home runs, anything like that? I've never, I've never, uh, I don't think I've ever sat in the outfield for a game. Uh, I like to sit behind home plate, upper deck somewhere. Uh, I think one of a couple You're games or point of the entire field. Yeah, I like upper deck. I don't play anything for a couple of, for most of the games. I think that's where we're at. Might be one game, first base, third base line, but uh, I like to be behind the plate. Very good. Well, I hope you have a great time. Looking forward to hearing about it all next week. We'll sprinkle some more college football in next week. Uh, we'll talk to Charlie Hildebrand coming up here. Uh, now uh, we'll talk some uh, Pac-12, SEC, and Big Ten action. And, of course, you and I will uh, we'll, we'll be really getting into the college football scene here over the next couple of weeks as the season is less than two weeks away from actual games. And then uh, week one, uh, the big one, Alabama and Florida State. Should mention, should mention, Florida suspends seven guys for their game yeah. against Michigan. Uh, so any chance Florida has, seemingly out the window. And uh, the big fight second coming up in two weeks. So it's it. Yeah, big fight. Yep, yep. Can't wait for that. Can't wait. Tubing down. And also, uh, there we go. Rick Flair. Hopefully he doesn't die by the time we do it next week. That'd yes, be nice. I did see that. So, uh, uh, medically induced yeah. coma. That uh, I believe he, I think he's out of it now. Um, 
But as I, we'll see. We'll see. It, it doesn't sound great. I won't be surprised either way. But um, hopefully, guys, 30 for 30 finally coming out in November. It should be good. So hopefully, uh, he's not dead at that time. We certainly wish Ric Flair and his family the best. Travis, I Are you, you still up? I mean, it's, it's been on the bottom of the ESPN. It's yep. a fairly big deal right now. Are you surprised that it's this big of a deal? Because if he does die, it's going to be a big thing. Uh, it is. Uh, he is one of the more, I would say, in terms of the wrestling world, is he one of the more iconic uh, wrestlers yes. of our time or maybe of all time? Yeah, of all time, 80s, it was him and Hulk Hogan, one, two. Yep. So, and um, yep, yeah, then I, I do not. Uh, I remember when uh, one of the, the the lady wrestlers, one of the famous ones, died last year, and ESPN had something on that, and that was somewhat uh, somewhat of a big deal. Ric Flair, of course, would be uh, fifty to a hundred times more um, more huge. But yeah, that, that's a uh, uh, I did see that. So hopefully, uh, Ric Flair lasts, and he is still alive next week when we record this podcast. And the thirty for thirty, uh, that's, I'm, I'm interested to see what what that's going to be. It could be could be very good. It could, it very well could. Uh, enjoy the trip, my friend. Uh, have a great time, and we will uh, talk to you next week. Hear all about it. I hope there's not a terrorist attack in Chicago. I hope there's no Nazis in Detroit. Sounds good. Very good. I hope I hope for your sake as well that there are not. Let the baseball games be good. played. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Thank you, Travis. Travis Crins joining us here, Sports Block Podcast. Appreciate the time and perspective as always. We will continue to add fantasy football flavor into the podcast here coming up. Uh, college football, NFL talk, baseball talk as well. All these other big stories coming up. Uh, we will have some final thoughts on Charlottesville, uh, what's going on there at the end of the podcast. But coming up next here, excited to have Charlie Hildebrand, Sioux City Journal, resident college football expert, in to discuss everything uh, I don't know, regarding college football. We're doing this over a few weeks, and of course he'll be a regular guest throughout, but uh, SEC Pac-12 Big Ten Talk coming up next, Charlie Hildebrand. Stay tuned here. It's the Sports Block Podcast, which can now be found on iTunes. Being uh, Follow me on Twitter at Andy Stack, and also on Facebook, Nathan Sacken. So stay tuned here. Charlie Hillebrand coming up. Sports Block Podcast. Absolutely. All right. Continuing here on the Sports Block Podcast. I apologize. I don't have the college football music ready, but in a few short weeks college football is back and our good friend charlie hildebrand you might uh if you ever watch google hangout chat you can uh watch him there he's also uh, a member of the sioux city journal correct charlie i got the name of the paper right that is the correct name. All right, one hundred percent accurate. He does a great uh, uh, Game of Thrones recap on Mondays. He's got your coffee break stuff all online there for the Sioux City Journal. So great stuff, and so pleasure to have Charlie Hildebrand back on. And Charlie, college football is here on a scale from one to oh, who's the most eccentric coach out there? Right now, Mike Leach. Mike Leach. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe, maybe Ed. Uh, maybe Orgeron. Uh, selling home much football season. I'm pretty darn excited, man. I was, uh, I was sad that Game of Thrones started late, but now I'm okay because Game of Thrones takes me right. And like once it's done, then football season starts. So this is ended up working out. 
pretty well for me. Very good. Well, you will be on with us throughout the college football season. That includes the return of the game that everyone's talking about, bowl bound or not. We we won't get to that today, but uh, you know, throughout the next few weeks, we're going to preview the college football season here, and uh, we're going to start this week with the Pac-12, the SEC, and the Big Ten, and. I, I'm not going to lie, I had a little bit of a bias when I was kind of laying out this schedule here because I think that there is a, a very high percentage that all that uh, we're going to see at least three, if not all four, playoff teams uh, in the college football playoff this year come from these three conferences. But uh, let's just start off, uh, we'll go west, and then we'll move our way over. So let's start with the Pac-12 uh, I think this is going to, I mean, last year Washington really surprised a lot of people. Jake Browning had a very good year. Uh, you could tell what Chris Peterson, the former Boise State head coach, has done well. Uh, I mean, so looking at the Pac-12 North, it's been dominated by Oregon for so many years. But uh, Washington seems like, uh, by leaps and bounds, the best team in this division, wouldn't you say? I, for the most part, I agree. I think they got to be careful with Stanford. That's true. I think Stanford's been good enough for a while that they may not be like the most talented top to bottom, but maybe we'll have the best offensive line and defensive front seven, and there's nothing to trifle with. No, I, mean, I do think Washington's going to win the division, though. They, I mean, they lost Kevin King. They lost John Ross. Uh, John Ross, of course, the speedster who should have won the island from Adidas. But uh, that's, I guess, neither here nor there. Uh, you look at what they have, like I say, a lot of returning pieces. The, the biggest one is Jake Browning. They got to the college football playoff last year, lost to Alabama. But... And, and worth noting, like they, they, they played with Alabama. Um, yes, they did. They couldn't really do much on offensively against them after that first drive. That Washington defense, they, they could they could they could hang with them though. Yes, with the they, Alabama oh. Yes, they could, and I think I mean not very many people were expecting Washington to hang with Alabama, uh, but I thought I think people were looking at this year. So, is there some concern that maybe Washington has peaked a little too much, or peaked too early? I should say. I mean, I don't think so, just because whenever you have a chance to be really good, you got to take advantage of it. And, you know, they've got a third-year or a junior quarterback who in Browning who didn't – I don't think he redshirted. It doesn't matter. Either, either way, though, he's in his third year, like, with playing eligibility, and he's also going to be a third-year starting. So he's – Experience. They got their. I'm blanking on his name, but they've got their top running back back. Mm-hmm. Uh, their their second best receiver, but plenty good still. And it, it seems like at least for the past three or four years, even at the end of uh, uh, when Steve Sarkeesian was the head coach at Washington, like they've always got dudes on defense. You know, they've got you know like a. Like a Polynesian defensive tackle, you know, that's six foot two and three forty that nobody can block, it seems like. Along with you know, a really athletic outside linebacker. And I, I don't know if it, we'll see what happens. I think who like I'm not gonna get too far ahead of myself. I think it's gonna be a pretty interesting Pac twelve title game. I don't know if they'll win that or not. But I think they've definitely got the talent to do to do, to do exactly what they did last year, and then maybe even go farther. I don't know if they will, but they've got they got the the guys to do it. I absolutely agree with you one hundred percent. And you look at their schedule, and they have 
every big game, you know, the the Utah, the Oregon's, UCLA, all at home, they got two minor uh, slip-ups. The big one, of course, is going to be Stanford in November, and then maybe Arizona State. That one, that Stanford. Yes, yep, and that's what I mean. Like, that. that's the one that I think is going to be the most treacherous for them, or the one that's going to throw them, uh, Wait, cast them aside. you think that game with Rutgers is going to be the most treacherous? Uh, you know what, though? Yeah, that's very true. I mean... It's a pretty gross non-conference schedule for it is, Washington. It, it is absolutely awful. But I look at Washington, I expect big things from them. Stanford, I don't quite know. I mean, you never want to give uh, what, head coach Brian Shaw and the Stanford Cardinal... You, I mean, you don't want to discount them at all, but they did lose arguably the best offensive player they've had in a, a decade or more uh, outside of Andrew Luck and Christian McCaffrey. So, I mean, I, I don't really know what to expect from Stanford this year, but I don't think I don't expect them to have that firepower like they did last year with a home run hitter like McCaffrey. Uh, Oregon, uh, who's the, who's the head coach there? Taggart from USF. So, I mean, it's a new regime there. Yeah, at Oregon. Yep. That, it's, I, I understand what you're saying about the Stanford offense, and I agree. I mean, I think they'll, have, they'll be able to run the ball because they get, they're so good at running the ball and get offensive linemen. But it's worth noting that nobody thought they'd be able to do anything after Toby Gerhardt left. Yep. And then nobody thought they'd be able to do anything after Andrew Luck left either. And they find a way to just basically turn out 9-3 and three or 10-2 and season. And occasionally they win the conference and play in the Rose Bowl. Nope, that's very fair. Um, but I would say, aren't we looking at Washington, Stanford, Oregon, and then the rest in the Pac-12 North? I mean, no one's going to give Cal or uh, uh, Oregon State or Washington State much of a chance. Even though Washington State, who is it? Uh, their quarterback's coming back, so you never know what Mike Leach can do. Yes, Luke Falk, thank you. Uh, so Washington State could be in the mix, but at the end of the day in the Pac-12 North, I think Washington uh, wins this uh, division. I agree. I've got Washington going away. I actually have Washington losing to Stanford. Okay. But that being their only loss in the regular season, I've got Stanford with a pair of losses. Uh, Washington State and Oregon both finishing eight and four. So I, actually, other than Oregon State and Cal, who I've winning a combined five games between the two, the other four I've got all winning at least eight. So I think the North. Or the Pac-12 North, I think, will be really good outside of the bottom two. I think the top four teams. You don't want to. You don't want to play those four. Very good. Last year, or uh, I mean, in that Rose Bowl, that was one of the most iconic games uh, that I can remember in the last however many years of college football with between USC and Penn State. Sam Darnold is coming back. I mean, they have a USC just has a ton of talent down there. I expect huge things from USC this year. They don't. I mean, they were able to get through the treacherous opening month of their schedule right away last year. That included a game against Alabama, a game at Utah, and they came out, came out clean on the other side. The Rose Bowl. When I'm looking at this here, I know Josh Rosen's at US or at UCLA, and he's really good. Now he's had some comments here uh, regarding school and football. I mean, probably won't get into that too much, but. I just overall, I really like USC a lot here in the in the Pac-12 South. I've also got USC doing pretty well. I've got them finishing uh, eleven and one and winning the South with uh, a loss at Washington State and the goofy. You know, you don't want to play Washington State, and they find a way to get hot at home. 
But other than that, I got them rolling through the regular season and setting up the uh, the, the epic Pac-12 title game that will that everyone will want to see. Yep, and that would be between Washington and USC. Uh, Colorado was, I think, a lot better than people thought last year. They were a big surprise. Utah was their um, regular good selves and everything. Uh and then UCLA kind of disappointed. They have an interesting opening game against Texas A&M. But uh, is it – I mean, USC, there's just really nobody that's going to come close to them, is there? I mean, I always want to hesitate a little bit just because there's so many times you think things are a sure thing in college football and it doesn't work out that way. I do have them winning the division fairly comfortably. Here, Rosen was hurt and had a whole bunch of other injuries. Mm-hmm. And how they went like four and eight or five and seven. I know they didn't go to a bowl game. I do have UCLA rebounding and going nine and three. I think they're going to be better. They're not going to be as good as USC or Washington or Stanford, but better. And then I've got both Utah and Colorado at seven and five, and neither of the Arizona schools go to a bowl game. So USC really good, but as a whole, I've got the North better than the South. And you look at USC's games, you mentioned that you have USC losing one game, and that being at Washington State. They get Texas at home, they get Stanford at home. I I mean, Utah's coming to home, uh, come in there. They have to go to South Bend and Notre Dame. But after that, I mean, it seems like pretty smooth sailing. They get UCLA at home. They do have a trip to, to Colorado, but that's on a Saturday. I remember it was a couple years ago they had to go there on a Friday, and they lost. It was a bit of a cold uh, game or a cold night, if I recall, so maybe that had something to do with it. But this schedule is setting up pretty nicely for USC to make a significant run and get in that college football playoff discussion. I agree with one exception. There's one issue they've got to deal with that I uh, we uh, <laughs> that you you know usually the teams that are like the most noteworthy in a conference mm-hmm. get the kind of I shouldn't say usually, but there's a perception that you know the USC's, the Alabamas, the Ohio State, the Texases kind of get the benefit of the doubt from the conference in terms of scheduling. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. I don't want to look too far into it. But this year, USC, they play 12 straight games to start the season, and then they have a bye week, like, at the end. Yep. Which is just kind of weird. And, like, I'm not saying they can't still be good with that, but it definitely leaves the possibility, you know, especially after playing somebody like Stanford or Utah, you know, a really physical team that kind of tries to beat up on you. It leaves the possibility that maybe, you know, you guys are a little more full sore. You know, you played, you know, seven, eight, ten straight weeks, and, you know, maybe somebody catches you off guard. So, that, I mean, it, it could happen when you have five weeks anyways. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it's a weird thing you don't see very often. That I mean, like, you might see it with, like, FCS schools or mid-major schools, you know, that they're trying to, you know... They take games to get more money, you know, like the teams from the Sun Belt and stuff. But it's really weird to see this from, like, not just a Power 5 school, but, like, you know, one of the three or four biggest names in all of the sports. Right. And, and like you said, I mean, there's 
for a team not to have a bye week or until the very last week of the regular season, that is rather surprising. So you're right. I mean, that is a little bit of a cause for concern. But I think USC has the talent and the drive. I think they'll be able to uh, get through that pretty unscathed. So Washington versus uh, – before we get to the, the Pac-12 championship game, any thoughts on what Sam Rosen said about you know college football and school don't really go together. It's tough to do the two. Any thoughts on what he said uh, last week or a couple weeks ago? I mean, I don't have strong thoughts. I think he said that he talked about a whole bunch of different things. Some I agreed with, some I didn't agree with. I, I think certainly it's been, you can't say that football and school don't go together because we've seen in the past all sorts of guys who are successful at both. Now, certainly, if you go to certain schools where maybe it's easier to get into and there's, you know, stereotypes of, like, cheap classes and things like that, if you go to a school like that, it's certainly possible. You know, you can get good grades without going to class or having other people take care of it for you. But, you know, I think, I would imagine the guys that, like, Stanford and Notre Dame and Northwestern are like, no, you, you, can, you, can, you, you can be good at both. It's, it's possible. Now, a lot of guys don't have the skills to be good at both, especially when they're that young. So, I mean, I think he brings up a good point, but it's certainly doable. It's just hard to, you know. Well, I mean, what, you're in your late 20s, and I think I'm in my early 30s. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, easy to look back, you know. If you take what you know now and go back to when you're 18, 19, 20, there's some things that you're glad that you did, but there's other things like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have done it that way again now. And there's a sense of entitlement as well, and that seems to be what a lot of these, you know, some of these kids, grow, you know, coming into the situation feel entitled to certain um Ideas and, and roles and everything like that. So, the, I mean, that could be, you know, a, a sense of it as well. Uh, so, Washington versus USC in the Pac 12 championship game. Who do you like winning that one? Or haven't you even thought that far yet? Nope, I have. I've got it. I picked everything about a week ago in preparation for yesterday. So, I've got stuff for you. Good. I think of all the conference championship games, this one is the most appealing, at least based off the way I have things shaking out. Mm hmm. I think they'll probably both be in the top five. Obviously, the winner going to the playoffs, and I, uh, I got USC and Sam Darnold winning. I also have USC and Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. I have Washington being undefeated. I have both teams undefeated going into this game. Now, that, that might be a little um, – that, that, that might be a stretch – as you mentioned, I mean Washington has to play Stanford, and well, well Washington went eleven and one in the regular season last year, and returns most of their guys. And USC won the Rose Bowl, so I mean it'll be tough, but I mean it's not unreasonable. It's not like calling Texas Tech or Baylor to go undefeated, right? Right. Um, so I, that's what I have there. I think it's going to be a magnificent uh, Pac-12 championship game if that's the one that we get. Let's move to the. Uh, Wait, S- who, who do you have winning? I have I have USC winning. I have USC taking down okay. Washington in a in a close. So you and I both agree. The only difference is I have each with one loss, and you've got them both undefeated. Right. Yep. Okay. Um. So let's Sorry, real real fun. If you pick them, if you have them, uh, you know all the conferences picked. I don't have all the conferences picked. I, I don't have all the record <laughs> record wise, but I have. I, I guess I'm still working through the Big Ten, but I have everything else um, squared away. 
Okay, so outside of the Big Ten, how many under? It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's your show, so you don't have to spoil this. No, you don't want absolutely. To. Go for it. But how many undefeated teams do you have total? I have three. Three, yep. which seems reasonable. I like. I'm not saying you're wrong or anything. But just, uh, I think last year I had two or three undefeated teams, and this year I just kind of went the other way. I, I don't have any undefeated teams I, in the entire country. Actually, I don't I, even have major teams I, undefeated. I, I should say this. I think I actually only have two, because I do have Alabama with one loss, so that being to Auburn. We'll get to the SEC here in a second. The only team that I have going undefeated going into bowl, the, the, the championship, or I guess post uh, championship Saturday is USC. Gotcha. And that uh, that scares me a little bit. I know it probably scares Schottenkirk to death that I'm uh, that I'm taking his Trojans to go undefeated. But um, I guess that's the way I'm kind of looking at things right here. Uh, we're going probably to be- ready to mortgage his house and bet it all on USC based off us talking so highly about him. Right. Uh, I mean, th- wasn't that the talk with Blake Bortles in Jacksonville, though? <laughs> <laughs> But I guess uh, you know, let's not rub salt in the old wound. Uh, SEC, Alabama, once again, dominated last year. I thought maybe it would be LSU. They had a disappointing season. It led to uh, you know, Coach uh, Les Miles getting fired. Now uh, Orgeron steps in. He was the assistant. They, they took the interim tag off of him, said, hey, you're you're going to do this. He sold he sold some hummus. He he's eating some beignets. It's a it's big down there in, at LSU. But at the end of the day, as we're looking at the SEC in totality, and specifically, I guess now just focusing on the SEC West before we move to the East, uh, I, it, it's got to be Alabama's, right? Yeah, I think we're to the point now. I probably fought it more than some people did trying to be clever and pick other teams besides Alabama. Certainly the other teams have a chance to win and it could happen. And maybe Alabama doesn't win, but it would be, I think it would be more surprising for Alabama to not win their division than any of the other Power Five conferences. I guess the Big 12 doesn't have division. But between the SEC, the Big 10, the ACC, and the Pac-12... Yep. Well, no, no, I'm going to slightly hedge it. Either Alabama not winning or USC not winning. Those would be the two most. Where it would just be like, wait, something went wrong. How did they not win their division? Sure. You know what? I mean, Alabama. I wonder, too, with Alabama. Yes, they, I mean, they're always in the national title, you know, the college football playoff talk and contention year after year. And they will be as long as Nick Saban is the head coach there. And you look at at their schedule, and I mean they're they're really they only have a couple of really tough games. One of them, which would be uh, against Auburn, and that's in Auburn at the end of the year. Of course, you have a big one to start the year off with, with in Florida State. And so I, I look at that Alabama Florida State game, and I mentioned this on Sunday. I, I think this is and this is. I mean, not breaking news or anything, but I, this is the most important game of the college football season because the loser of this game, either at Florida State or Alabama, both who have national championship uh, thoughts, they're going to be—they're going to have to go perfect the rest of the regular season because they're already going to have that one loss. Probably, I think we're going to get to the at some point. 
we're going to see a two-loss team in the playoffs. Yes. Now, you never want to be the team that tries to say, hey, we're going to be the one that fucks things to go different way. I mean, it, it's tough to bank on that. But uh, ultimately, I, I still agree with you. Whoever loses this game is going to be behind the eight ball. With so the bright side is if, if they have a loss, like I think if you finish with only one loss, it'd be pretty damn difficult to keep someone out of the playoffs because in week one they lost to another team that will probably still be in the top five at the end of the year, right. if not the top ten. So that's the bright side about losing. But yeah, like you said, if you lose once in week one, it's difficult to look at the schedule as a whole and be like, oh man, if we want to make the playoffs, we got to go perfect the rest of the way. The other thing with Alabama is losing in the national championship game last year. I mean, they don't lose very often. Nick Saban doesn't like losing. And losing in the national title game, uh, does that, do you think, give them any extra motivation headed into this year? I, or is it just... Hey, we lost, we're moving on, kind of like the Bill Belichick uh, team in the Patriots. I get the sense it's more the latter. There are probably individual players in Alabama that are used, trying to use that specifically. And if it works for them, that's fine, so be it. But I think it's more just kind of like, you know, I, I think to them it's more of a process and just, you know, we're more talented than everybody, and as long as we play our game, we can beat whoever we play. I think and, and Nick Saban, I'm sure they, they, he can find plenty of ways to motivate him. That's why, I mean, he's won four or five national titles. Mm-hmm. I think five. I think five, four with Alabama. You have uh, Jarrett Stidham, former Baylor quarterback, transferred to Auburn. He's going to be Auburn's starting quarterback. How big of an impact is he going to make both uh, – and, I mean, Auburn was already probably predicted to be very good this year, but how much can Stidham elevate the Tigers? I mean, I think you can make a big difference. I mean, we, we don't have to look at any other team besides Auburn itself. I mean – in 2010, they had Cam Newton and Nick Fairley on defense. And I think those might have been, like, the only two guys on the whole team that got drafted. And they still won a national title. And it's just so exceedingly rare to see teams that win a national title but not have at least, like, you know, six or seven guys that are going to get drafted the following year. Plus multiple more in, like, the next two classes. And there just weren't that many guys from Auburn. I mean, it's not that... If you don't get drafted, you're not good. Mm-hmm. But they're just, they were not loaded with the same level of talent that other guys were. They just had Cam Newton, who was freakishly good. And then uh, when, uh, that was when Malzahn was the offensive coordinator, when he took the head job after Gene Chizik got fired. They had some other things going their way. But, you know, Nick Marshall, I mean, yep. did very well at what they wanted to do. And he, I, I know he was the starter for two years. And then the next two years after that, Oh, see, that would have been 13 and 14. Yeah, so then the, the last, the previous two years, they had much, much, much worse quarterback play. Mm-hmm. And they make it so then they can't run the ball as well. And this guy who's supposed to be an offensive genius doesn't look so good on offense anymore. Right. I think that's a big part of their problem. Now, now last year, you know, they, they struggled early in the year. They got things figured out as it went. And ended, I mean, at least better. 
Yeah, I mean, they had tough losses to Alabama and uh, Oklahoma and the Sugar Bowl, but I mean, I think the addition of Stidham, like, I'm not saying this is going to make him a top five team. I wouldn't go that far, but I think they're going to be much better on offense. They're going to be much more fun to watch. And that there's, they're just going to win more games now. I think they went eight and four. Now, granted, after I said all that, I only had them winning one more game in the regular season than I did last year. But, you know, they, I've got them having wins over teams that, you know, are probably better this year than they were last year. Like last year, Auburn beat LSU, and that's what got West Miles fired. Right. I've got Auburn beating LSU this year also, but it's a better version of LSU than it was. Well, and they have to go to Death Valley, take on LSU. They have to go to Arkansas and A and M. You do have Georgia at home, and you do get Alabama at home. But that I means they also have to play Clemson too. So Auburn is definitely a team that's facing it's a tough schedule. It is. It is very tough. And we saw last year with USC, as I mentioned earlier. What kind of like it, theirs was early on in the season, so they were able to recover. Auburn, though, with you know, with the the difficult schedule later in the season, it's not going to be nearly as easy to come back from after a couple of losses. So, uh, but I mean, we'll see what happens there. Mentioned Eddie O, um, you know, uh, Ed Orgeron at LSU. What do we think of the Tigers? What can the Bayou Bengals do this year? I think mostly it depends on their offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, who left Pittsburgh after Pittsburgh had, like, the best offense I ever remember Pitt having, like, ever since I've watched college football. Mm-hmm. Even better than when they had Larry Fitzgerald. Now, Larry Fitzgerald's obviously better than any players Pitt had last year. Yep. But as a whole, the Pitt offense last year was pretty good. And he's sort of like Auburn the last two years. Basically, it's they got to find a way to get something out of their quarterback. Auburn, LSU is just as talented as basically anybody else in the country. Darius Geis is probably going to run for like fifteen or 1,600 yards and he can stay healthy and have a great year. They just need somebody who can throw it to their really big and athletic receivers consistently better than what they've had. I mean, I'm saying, I just, it's crazy when you think about how much they've struggled with quarterbacks. I mean, Zach Mettenberger was good his last year at LSU. Granted, part of it was probably that they also had both Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. But, like, the two or three years before that, they weren't getting good quarterback play. And they haven't had good quarterback play since then. And, you know, if... If somebody like Rutgers or Kansas or and not just bad schools, but you know, even like Arizona State, because they're just not in places where it's as easy to get guys like mm-hmm. struggle with quarterbacks. You know, like, well, okay, but LSU recruits fantastically all the time, and it's it's just weird that they like. I, I'm not even talking about having like a first round draft pick or an All American or an All Conference guy. It's weird that they have had, like, subpar, incompetent quarterback play mm-hmm. other than one or two years from Mettenberger for, like, six years now. Yep. I mean, they, they played in the national title game in 2011 with bad quarterback play. Yes. They, they had a fantastic defense and fantastic special teams. Yeah, and they won a game against Alabama in the regular season. They probably shouldn't have won because the Alabama kickers kept sniffing. Mm-hmm. And then it bit them in the butt in the national title game. So they couldn't do anything. It's like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess we'll put nine guys in the box and make it so they can't run. And then it's weird how this guy who can't throw 
can't make tough throws against good quarterbacks. And what's fascinating to me is that the SEC arguably gets the best players year in and year out. I mean, they have awesome defenses. The, the best running backs are in the SEC. How how can they not get good quarterbacks? How can they not get you know some like Jake Brownings or Sam Darnolds or Nate Allens, you know, or uh, you know stuff like like guys like this? Or is it that the quarterbacks that they are getting good or I guess average or decent, and the defenses just make him look so bad? I think part of it is just kind of like the anatomy and DNA of the conference. And you can blame a lot of this on Nick Saban. Yes. Not specifically for Alabama, but because he's so good that all these teams are stupid and try to copy what he does. And it's like, no, you can't copy, like, the original and have the copy be better than the original. I mean, you know, if you take something, you know, and send it through a fax machine, and then you take not the original but the faxed one and send it through the fax, Mm -hmm. it's going to get worse and worse and worse as it goes and less legible. And I don't know, there's, there's all these teams that think they can do what Nick Saban does and it doesn't work, but but this is that's not just Saban related. I mean, for 20, 30 years, the mantra of the SEC is basically like, well, if we don't know what to do, let's play tough defense on it, try to get good field position, special teams can make a play, and they'll put our offense in better position. Yep. And so I, I think that's just, the other than, you know, Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M, maybe to an extent Dan Mullen at Mississippi State. Like, most of these guys are either defensive coaches or at least they play like a more conservative brand. Yep. Which, if you're really talented, can work. But the problem is, is that there's all these other teams that are just as talented, if not more than they are. And, you know, that's why you can see teams like like Georgia last year who were just frickin' loaded with guys, but they went 8-5 because it doesn't work when you're trying to do that against teams that are better than you are. Exactly. And, and it also doesn't help that in the last three or four or five years, like, the SEC's lost some coaches that were, like, pretty good or at least underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Like, Gary Tinkle left Missouri because of health reasons. Missouri's much, much, much worse now. Yes. Steve Furrier left South Carolina. They weren't doing as good, and he was kind of going through the motions and wasn't all there anymore. South Carolina looks much worse on offense with Will Muschamp now. Mark Rick left Georgia. If you want to say Kirby Smart will end up being good, I mean, maybe you might be right. Their offense didn't look good last year, though. No. When you start losing some of these guys who – you know, maybe they're not good enough for the school they're at and expectations might be too high. But, like, when you lose above-average coaches and replace them with average or below-average coaches, it's going to drag everybody else down. And it just, I just – sometimes I wonder if Saban just kind of takes a second to look around the rest of the league and kind of chuckle to himself and thinks, like, man, I'm glad I don't have to play against, you know, Urban Meyer and guys like this all the time. I'd much rather be playing against Kevin Sumlin and Brett Bielema. Yeah, and I mean, look at just look at Mark Richt and the University of Georgia. I mean, that's I mean, you know, the Georgia thought, oh, hey, Mark Richt is so good, uh, but he never gets us to where we need to go. And then you fire him, and now look where they're at here, uh, year two, and Kirby Smart. Uh, last year we said, you know, with with the Art Bryles and the the Baylor situation, we thought Baylor was going to be bad, and they ended up playing, a, you know, 
pretty good. They made a bowl game, won that. Uh, Ole Miss, somewhat... I don't know if I'd say they were good, but they, they were better than you and I both thought they would be. Right. I we, think both of us didn't have them going to a bowl game. Right. I think they only went like seven and six. Uh-oh. Right, but they still made a bowl game. They were still bowl eligible, yeah, they so did. they got there. Um, this year... Ole Miss, not this, not the, not the same situations by any stretch, and I'm not trying to to say that at all. But I mean, Hugh Freeze leaves amid a, a, a cloud of controversy. They've already got some NCAA sanctions levied against them for some improper recruiting and everything. How bad is Ole Miss going to be this year? They're not going to be good. I mean, they weren't good last year. Last year they went five and seven, and this was before any of this had. And I think now. I mean, say what you want about Hugh Freeze. He's a, he at least appeared to not be a bad coach. And you could probably lump him in with some of the others, but at least kind of tried different stuff on offense. It didn't always work. But I, I, I think that sort of like Baylor, I think Ole Miss will, and like you said, the situations aren't the same. And what happened at Baylor was much worse. Yes. But I think this is basically almost like the death knell for both of them. Not for, like, the rest of time, but, like, I think seven or eight years from now, we're going to be like, yeah, Ole Miss is still bad, and, like, has maybe made one bowl game at going seven and five. Yep. Um, I, I right now have them at four and eight, and that might... Yeah, I, no, I would say like over the next eight years, have one oh, year yes. where they go. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Five. Yep. So yeah. yeah, this year I've got them going four and eight and losing every conference game. Yep. Um, Mississippi State's a team that I I'm intrigued by in a large part because of quarterback Nick Fitzgerald. I think he's um, single almost. He's the best quarterback in that division. But uh, as we go through the the, comp- uh, the division records here, what do you have each each team at in the SEC West? And uh, of course, we said Alabama's winning it. But where do you have each team? Yep, I've got Alabama eleven and one, seven and one in conference. Like you, we both got them losing at Auburn. Uh, I've got Auburn second at six and two in conference, nine and three overall. Losing non conference at Clemson, and then losing road games to LSU and Arkansas. Uh, I have LSU same overall record at nine and three, but going five and three in conferences, losing three road games to Florida, Alabama, and Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee is going to be great, but I do have them winning at home against LSU. Uh, Texas A and M, I've got going four and four in conference, seven and five overall, losing uh, their opener to UCLA, and then losing to Alabama, Florida, Auburn, and LSU. Uh, I've got Mississippi State going seven and five, three and five in conference. Arkansas going uh, six and six, uh, two and six in conference, and then Ole Miss winning their non-conference games, losing to everybody in conference play. I, I, might, I might love LSU a little too much. I have them at eleven and one. That's probably a little ridiculous. Auburn at nine and three, but um, like you, I think Auburn or Alabama wins this one here um, with the eleven and one. Of course, they beat LSU, so that, that's what I got on the west. On the east, not nearly as intriguing. Uh, Travis's favorite coach, Butch Jones. Uh, how much heat is he under at Tennessee this year to perform? I think quite a bit, most notably because Florida has won the division the last two years, but has not looked impressive in doing it. I think they finished nine and three, but it's not been an overly impressive nine and three. 
and Georgia's not lived up to the hype of the, you know, how good they should have been. But I mean, for a team like Tennessee that used to be really good, trying to recapture their glory, to have the other two big dogs in the division not be up to full strength, along with nobody else in the division really being any good, to not take advantage of it is is really bad because mm-hmm. I think like I don't want to see the window of opportunity for Tennessee period is closed I think it's possible the window under Butch Jones is closed so I mean I, I don't have Tennessee like I've got them winning eight games and going to a bowl game but you know losses to Florida and Georgia and Alabama and uh, the opener to Georgia Tech and I think there's a good chance that he would get fired then. Yeah, I don't I don't foresee Tennessee really being in the discussion in the SEC East. I really see it coming down to Florida and Georgia. Florida does have seven guys suspended for the opener against Michigan. I was going to pick Florida to beat Michigan, but now with this with these revelations and these suspensions, um, I have to say that Florida's going to lose that one. Did the punishment fit the crime for these fellas? I mean, I think so. I don't know all the details of it, but it's like they were using, you know, the South Dakota State equivalent of, like, their student IDs with their campus, you know, mm-hmm. lunch stuff on it. Right. But they were using it for, like, uh, to get books and then to get other stuff and but they weren't allowed to. And, I mean, I, I, I think I'm okay with that. I mean, if they wanted to suspend him more, I'd be okay with that. I think you... You would have to suspend him at least one game because it sounds like they stole, like, not thousands of dollars, but maybe, like, a hundred dollars worth of electronic stuff. And, like, the dumb thing is, like, I, I never did anything, like, that bad. But there's a lot of people who do some things in college you probably shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. But, like, don't, don't like, talk six other people into doing it because the more people that do it, the more likely you are to get caught then. And it seems dumb to be like, hey, here's this way I'm scamming the school. You know, you and I both know schools love money and don't want to lose out on their money. Right. So scamming them for money, good good chance to get caught. And then you start being like, hey, you want to join the club? Like, I don't know. I think in addition to, like, it being wrong, they should be suspended for just being, like, um. dumb enough. They didn't think that someone would eventually notice. Uh, that's unfortunate here because Callaway is their best wide receiver. Malik Zaire coming from Notre Dame. Uh, what can he do for the offense that was downright atrocious last year? I mean, hopefully something. They need to do something offensively because they've had some dudes on defense that are pretty good that basically, you know, that, that do their job to only see the offense, like, not help it at all. It is it's been a problem for a long time at Florida since uh, I think Urban Meyer's last year. I think his second to last year was when Tebow was still there and they were still good on offense. But like ever since then, the Florida offense has generally been kind of gross. So, I mean, they are sort of in the same boat as LSU that they need to find ways to do something because if you can't... When you, when you play in Alabama... It's tough to say, hey, defense, you got to hold their offense seven or ten points. Right. So you got to find a way for your offense to do something to help you out. Was it Nick Easton, the quarterback at Georgia? Say that again? Nick, Nick Easton's the quarterback at Georgia, right? Jacob Easton. Jacob Easton. Excuse me, yeah. Nick Easton, someone else. Um, he's. I mean, he struggled a little bit his first year, but it was a true freshman, so that's a little understandable. They still have Nick Chubb in the backfield, right? 
both Nick Chubb and Tony Michelle. So they've got both multi-year guys that running back who are both incredibly capable of running the ball. I don't remember. They, they lost some guys on their offensive line. I don't know if they've got two guys back or three guys back. So they could potentially have some issues there. They, they could. Need to, but when you have a one-two combo in the backfield like that, I certainly think Georgia will be fine this year. Uh, they're in a battle with Florida. I think it's going to be very interesting here. Uh, Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, they're all nice names, but at the end of the day, they don't really matter. Um, so as you look at the SEC East, who do you have winning it? I've, uh, I've got Georgia winning it, losing at Notre Dame and at Auburn. So ten and two overall, seven and one in conference. Got them beating Florida. So I got I got the dogs going to the title game to play Alabama. All right. What do you have for the rest of the division in terms of the uh, records? Uh, Florida, I've got seven and one. Their only conference loss to Georgia, nine and three overall, losing to Michigan and Florida State also. Uh, Tennessee, I've got eight and four, five and I guess I mentioned them earlier. Losing to Georgia Tech and then three conference games. Uh, and then the rest of the way, I've got Kentucky, then South Carolina, then Vanderbilt, then Missouri last. Of those four, I've got Kentucky at six and six, the only one making a point game. Okay. Very good. I have Vanderbilt making a bowl game just because I want them to. But I got them at five and seven. So I mean, I, I, all they need to do, you know, I've got them losing to Kansas State, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Missouri, and Tennessee. Find a way to upset South Carolina, and that's six wins. There you go. Or Missouri. And it's also, I mean, hey, if APR gets you into a bowl game, I feel like you know a private school like Vanderbilt, known for their academics, they might be able to go to a bowl at five and seven. Right. Right, and so as you look at the Alabama against Georgia, I think kind of a foregone conclusion that Alabama's going to win this one, right? I got them winning. I'm not even saying it's going to be like a great, fantastic game. I think it's going to be better than at least the last few Alabama championships. Meaning it's not going to be, you know, 27-3 to 3 at halftime where you're like, this is over. Right. Now it might be like 21-10 to 10 and it's not as close as the scoreboard looks. But at least you won't just be like, well, this is... You'll just probably think the game's over instead of being positive. (laughs) Finally, uh, for this week, we'll look at the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, what what would you rather start with, the Big Ten East or the Big Ten West? That's a good question. Uh, Let's start with the East. Since the East won the championship last year. When All right, very good. Uh, I'm fascinated by this three-horse race between Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Uh, Penn State showed me a lot last year in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Trace McSorley at quarterback, Saquon Barkley at running back, arguably, I, w- I would say, uh, perhaps not arguably, it's the best running back-quarterback combo there in the Big Ten. Uh, Big Ten East, I would say even ahead of JT Barrett, who, yes, is still in school at Ohio State. Uh, I can't believe it, but he is, right? I mean, this is unbelievable. That's true. That he unbelievable. is a senior, so this will be his last year. Unless he gets hurt so bad he's out two years, then he could get a medical red shirt. He, but that's unlikely. He feels like a super senior to me. But, uh, I mean, Ohio State... Well, technically, he redshirted, so it is his fifth year. Oh, geez. I mean, he has been around for since the dawn of time. Uh, it feels That's like... what happens when you're a four 
one-year starter at quarterback. That is very true. Very true. So Ohio State, talent across the board. Their D-line is especially good, right, this year? Yeah. I'm trying to think of the name. They've got uh, Bosa's younger brother. Okay. Uh, I don't remember what his brother's name is. And then uh, another guy, I don't remember. I think it's Taekwon Lewis. I think it's both defensemen, the bookend defensive end. But, yeah, they're... There's, there's there's dudes on Ohio State defense, and they're they're like the Alabama of the North from the standpoint that they send guys to the draft all the time, and they just reload. Uh, that's what Urban Meyer does. He's a great recruiter, and he's he's done a great job there at Ohio State. I mean, but I I maybe am falling in love a little bit too much with Penn State. Uh, however, the only thing that scares me with Penn State. Uh, their you know their game against Pitt that doesn't scare me at all. They have to go to Iowa that doesn't scare me. It's the three week stretch beginning October twenty first to November fourth when you have to play Michigan, then at Ohio State and at Michigan State. I think they can. I, I think they'll beat Michigan, and I don't think it'll be all that close. I think Penn State's that much better than Michigan. But then if you beat Ohio State, I see a slip up game against Michigan State, who I think. Uh, will be much uh, will be more improved or much improved this year than they were last year uh, when the wheels just fell apart on the program this year. If, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you maybe you don't see quite the turnaround from Michigan State, but I certainly think they'll be back there and in bowl contention. But I mean that's that is arguably one of the most difficult three game stretches when we talked about Auburn. But for Penn State, how do they get through that gauntlet? Can they get through it undefeated or at no worse than two and one? I think they can get two and one. I'm not as worried about Michigan State as you are. I've only got Michigan State going six and six. I don't think they're going to be like. I mean, that's good enough to get to a bowl game. I've got them going three and six in contest. Um, but but certainly Michigan and Ohio State back to back weeks is, is really tough. Especially because I mean, if you take uh, I don't remember who I first heard said this. I think Bruce Feldman maybe, and the idea has been around longer than when he said it. But the body blow theory, and if you play somebody like, even if they're not necessarily really good, but you play somebody you know like Wisconsin or Michigan or Alabama or Arkansas or Stanford that you know big and physical, and you know we're gonna shove the ball down your throat. We're going to play suffocating run defense, and we're just going to make it so you can't run and we can't run whether you like it or not. At times, there's a tendency for the teams that play them, whether they win or lose, to be banged up and not 100% the next week and kind of struggle. And, you know, getting banged up, I mean, whether whether they beat Michigan or not, you know, I think it's safe to say that Harbaugh is going to try to physically shove the ball down Ben State's throat. And then the next week to be like, oh yeah, now we got to play Ohio State also. Is a tough one-two stretch. Yep. I uh, we'll get to it a bit later. I have them winning at least one of those. Yeah. All right, very Ohio good. I, so I love Penn State from that standpoint this year again. What Saquon Barkley and, and Trace McSorley showed me in the Rose Bowl last year uh, just shows me that Penn State and James Franklin done a good job resurrecting that program, kind of getting them through the um, you know back to being how we we know uh, Penn State football being really good. Uh, talked about Ohio State, how good they are. What are your thoughts on Michigan? Of course, you lose a bunch of guys, most notably Jabril Peppers. Uh, some perhaps some questions there at quarterback, but Jim Harbaugh knows what he's doing. Uh, what what's Michigan going to look like this year? Michigan's 
season's going to look a lot different than last year. Because other than Wilton Spate, I know they return other starters. I couldn't name any of them off the top of my head. Jake Butt's I think not there. I know that for a fact. Jake Butt's not there. Jehu Chesson, their good receiver's gone. Defensive, now, with, it's tough with defense because there's a lot of substitution packages. And if you play nickel half the time, is your nickel back technically a starter? That's a debate for a different day. If you go like Michigan running like a standard 4-3 defense, though, all those 11 are gone. Now, there's other guys that didn't maybe start every game but played a lot or played in substitution packages that are close enough to being starters that you could say they have like one or two guys back on defense. And they're not like lacking talent. They got guys. But I think it's going to take... It's going to take a little bit of time for them to get things going. And even then, you know, playing... Like, I think they're going to beat Florida week one, but, like, you could envision a scenario where there's young guys from Michigan making mistakes and, you know, possibly costing them a game. Penn State and uh, Ohio State will not be easy games for them. Uh, I'm trying to remember who they play crossover. They play Wisconsin in the crossover game. They they play Minnesota and Wisconsin this year in the crossover. And Iowa, because it's three now. Wait, no, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Friend, I didn't say anything. Okay. (laughs) You're right. They they play three games, but those are the only two that are the only ones that matter. Purdue being the other one. I'm sorry. How could I forget Purdue? Yeah, I, I feel confident in saying that Harbaugh will find a way to beat Purdue. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not an easy schedule. Like, I've got them. I, uh, <laughs> I have Michigan being good, but it basically being like the last two years. I've got them winning 10 games, but still finishing third in the division. Yep, yep, that's that's what I have them down for as well. So, sayonara, Michigan. And all with all due respect to the Maryland's and Rutgers and Indiana's and, you know, the you know, Michigan State's of the East, no thank you. It is, it is strictly a three-horse race between Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. So, who do you have, uh, let's go uh, record-wise, who do you like in the Big Ten East? Ohio State, with uh, Kevin Wilson as their offensive coordinator, if anyone forgot the Oklahoma offense that was like the greatest offense ever, uh, he was the offensive coordinator for them. So I think Ohio State's offense will probably look more like the Tom Herman version that won the national title in the last two years. I've got Ohio State 11-1. and I do have them losing the final game at Michigan. As do I. But that's their only, their only loss in conference. Uh, Penn State, I have at uh, ten and two, uh, seven and two in conference. I've got them beating Michigan. I do have Penn State losing at Iowa, and then to Ohio State. Okay. And then I've got Michigan losing at Penn State and at Wisconsin. I do too. It's it scares me a little bit, Charlie. Where we're like where our train of thought is at here. I mean, we both think USC's uh, going to be dynamite. I have them with one fewer loss than you do. But uh, the only what, difference I okay, have. Okay, we'll we'll fill on this. How about Michigan State and Indiana? What do you have those two teams? You know, um, I haven't quite looked at Michigan State here. Um, I can get that for you next week. I will. I will make sure I uh, we revisit this next week. But I have Penn State going eleven and one with their only loss being to Ohio State, and then I would hope that they don't have a letdown game against Michigan State. That's the trap game for me this entire year for Penn State is that Michigan State game, but I have both Ohio State and Penn State 11-1 and 
Michigan ten and two. Yeah, for the most part, like the uh, like the Pac twelve, and I guess sort of like the SEC, we we got a lot of similarities so far. We do, and that makes me feel good because you're the resident expert expert here, so I like that. Well, last year I did have UCLA in the playoffs. So, so <laughs> That's true. Well, yeah. hey, I had Notre Dame. Fair, I had Notre Dame last UCLA year. UCLA in the playoffs this year. Yeah. And yeah, no- we both picked that went, that, went, that went below 500 to go to the playoffs. Because remember, what did Notre Dame go last year? 4 and 8. There we go. 4 and 8. <laughs> yeah, at, at least UCLA went 5 and 7. That- and maybe they went 4 and 8. I don't remember. No, I think I think you're right. I think they went five and seven. Uh, so on the Big Ten West side, this is where uh, I mean I, I'm a, I'm a Virginia Tech fan uh, first and foremost. Well, I shouldn't say first and foremost because first and foremost, I'm from Minnesota, so I'm naturally going to cheer for the Gophers. But my my loyalty, my allegiance doesn't necessarily follow the Gophers all the way. I I'm, I like Virginia Tech more, but uh, I am. Absolutely uh, stoked to watch the Gophers this year. Getting PJ Fleck, uh, perhaps not the best of you know scenarios or situations. He was a late arrival, but you know with the recruits that he's bringing in, what he did at Western Michigan to turn them around. Uh, I'm a believer. Call me a, a chum uh, or you know for believing in him or not, but I think Minnesota is destined to do really good things this year. You love uh, Nebraska, and rightfully so. They're going to be good this year, but I think both uh, both you and I can agree that it's still Wisconsin's division probably to, to rule the roost. I do have Wisconsin winning the Big Ten West. It pains me a little bit to say that, but yeah. I think they have been more, they've maybe been more consistent than anybody else in the country over like the last six or seven years. And they're a boring that other than one year where they went like eight and six and only played in the Big Ten title game because both Ohio State and Penn State were ineligible and on sanctions. Mm-hmm. But like other than that year, they've won like nine, ten, or eleven games every year. And it's like, well, you got some guys I've never heard of before that are pretty good at football and they're going to play good defense. And they might not be able to run the ball well, but they'll find a way to run it sort of effectively. And they're going to win 9 or 10 or 11 games. Yeah, and you look at this schedule here for Wisconsin, and it sets up really nicely for them. A trip to BYU in September, that could be a little difficult. Uh, they do have to play at Nebraska. That's where I have them having one of their losses. But, uh, I mean, until Minnesota can beat Wisconsin, I have to go with Wisconsin there. But I have uh, Wisconsin sitting at roughly 11-1, and 10-2 and two in that area. I got them ten and two, seven and two in conference. I have them losing at Nebraska, and I also have them losing two year Gophers in a PJ Flex special, oh. but still being good enough to win the division and go to a conference title game. Yeah, and I have Minnesota losing to Michigan and Wisconsin. I do see them beating Iowa. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but you know. I might be a little blind here uh, with uh, with what I'm with my. Uh, uh, pick of Minnesota here, and I just I kind of despise Iowa, and I think with C.J. Beathard out, I, I think that Kirk Ferentz might have a little bit of a difficult time this year. But let, let's talk about Nebraska. What do you think they can do this year in the Big Ten West? Um, I mean, wh- where where did they go? I mean, no no more Armstrong. Uh, he's gone. Uh, is that you know you can debate whether or not that's a plus or a minus? But what do you think of Nebraska this year? 
I think there's a lot of interesting things going on with them of, of teams that did not replace their head coach. Because if you have a brand new head coach, you're just automatically going to have things be different. But if you take the teams that didn't replace their coach, Nebraska will probably look more different than the rest of them. Because they fired their defensive coordinator, they're switching from a 4-3 under a defensive coordinator, who I'm not even going to tell you his name because it doesn't matter, he's fired. They're going to a 3-4 now under Bob Diaco, who ran the, the pretty good Notre Dame defenses. Wasn't a great UConn head coach the last three years, but his defenses were good at UConn. Will they be better in year one on defense? I don't know. We'll see. It's going to look different. And offensively, instead of having the uh, the fleet of foot, but sporadic at best passer in uh, Armstrong, they're going to a, uh, a transfer named Zach Lee, who's basically a statue pocket passer, which is what Mike Riley likes more of anyway. So their offense is going to look a lot different. And then they, they got a lot of guys to replace. I think some of them are pretty talented, uh, like young guys, but not experienced. I think Nebraska, I don't, I don't want to say Nebraska and Minnesota are the same in every way, but they're the same in the extent that if they catch breaks, they could go 9-3 and three or 10-2. and two. If they don't catch some of those breaks, I could see either of them going 6-6. Six and six. Uh, I have both of them going 8-4. and four. Yep, I have Nebraska going 8-4. and four. I, have, I have them losing to Oregon, losing uh, to Ohio State, and then Minnesota and Penn State. We have the exact same four losses for Nebraska. All right. Again, that that does scare me a little bit, but uh, it's uh, it, it'll be great. So, uh, and I've also got Northwestern and Iowa going eight and four. So I actually have ten. I have Wisconsin at ten and two, and then the next four teams: Nebraska, Northwestern, Iowa, and Minnesota, all going eight and four and beating each other. So, Ohio State. And Wisconsin, Big Ten title game. Uh, who do you like there? I like Ohio State. I think I think Wisconsin will be good this year. I don't think they will be as good as the 2014 team with Melvin Gordon. They have a great offense. I don't think they will be as good as their team last year where they just were loaded on with the defensive guys and uh, T.J. Watt getting a whole bunch of sacks like his brother in the NFL. Well, I think they're going to be good. It just won't be quite to the same degree. Good enough to win the division. And then, like, I, I think they'll put forth a, a valiant effort, but, you know, probably lose by 14 to 20 to Ohio State, where they just sort of slowly get away from them because Ohio State. The one like team that. that I'm going to say, and uh, call me a homer, but I think that's going to, that could surprise in the Big Ten West would be Minnesota. I could, I would not be surprised to pull an old stack and adage out here to see Minnesota in the Big Ten Championship game this year, even though I think that's more likely to be a year or two away, but you look at their schedule this year, it's, uh, apart from a trip to Michigan, and Iowa, yes, because Iowa always gives them troubles. And, of course, yes, Wisconsin does come there. But uh, those are the two most difficult road games on this stretch. I would be pretty surprised if your Gophers were in the conference final game in year one. I would, too. Could happen. But I'd be pretty surprised, though. But roll that boat. Roll that boat, baby. Roll P.J. Fleck. So, 
we'll see what happens there. Uh, three conferences down, Charlie. That was a lot of fun. Uh, next week, we'll discuss the Big 12, the ACC, and uh, anything that you find interesting with the other remaining conferences. So it uh, should be great fun. Any final thoughts uh, for this week? And then playoff picks and Heisman Trophy winner also? Uh, no, that'll be the following week. Okay, gotcha. That works. All right. Uh, any other final thoughts uh, from these conferences or anything that you're looking forward to for this year? Um, I don't think I have any. I don't think I have too much now. Just uh, looking forward to rock with the sports block next week. <laughs> Hashtag that. Use that on Twitter. <laughs> I'll do what I can. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Charlie, for your time, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Yep. See you later, Stackin. Charlie Hildebrand, Sioux City Journal. Check it out. Game of Thrones uh, podcast that they do. Uh, great uh, break time uh, reading, and uh, he posts some stuff on there, but also, uh, of course, the resident college football expert. Uh, happy to have him aboard to talk a little college football with Travis. We'll do that, to continue that throughout the week. Uh, but final thought here, um, of course, again, Charlie will be on next week for more college football talk, talk Big 12, ACC, rest of the other conferences. I guess just a final thought here on what happened in Charlottesville. And I know you, you don't come to this place for uh, for political talk. And we, we sometimes do that. We did a lot of it you know, leading up to the election and try and steer away from that. But, uh, I mean, it, it's an absolutely despicable, deplorable act what happened in Charlottesville. Uh, these white supremacists, these neo-Nazis, uh, these, uh, you know, right for white or whatever the hell they want to call themselves they have no place in uh we have no place in this country for them uh it's it's absolutely despicable and horrible and uh i don't give a shit if it's your freedom of speech here um there's just there's no place for that so um hopefully uh what happened this week will serve as a reminder of how far we need to come and hopefully we can all unite around this front and say enough with this and take these groups down because, no offense, kind of see this coming here a little bit here way back uh, last year uh, when we had heard that some of these hate groups, the David Dukes, uh, the, the, you know, the, the KKK and everything, oh, hey, uh, someone who's lining up with our values. Well, now you see what happens. And no, it was minor. Only one person died. But... I think as of now, anyway, um, still not good. So uh, uh, condemn what these uh, what these groups do and what they stand for. And uh, thoughts and prayers are with everyone there in Charlottesville, of course, uh, home to the University of Virginia. And uh, hopefully, uh, some peace and calmness can can set forth now. Let the healing um, take place and let the city rebuild and uh i'm sure football even though virginia is not going to be very good next year it's going uh this year is going to take on quite a different meaning so uh thank you for listening to this podcast again you can find us on itunes just search the sports block uh try and have this up there you can follow me on twitter at andy stacken also on facebook nathan stacken have this podcast posted um Later to middle part of, or middle to later part of the week, we post it on Saturday. Uh, we will have it linked a link to it in the blog as well. The sports block, 
or the, the excuse me the stack which you can find at stackattack.sportsblog.com so thank you to Travis as always for uh, the great discussion thanks to Charlie for a great college football talk we'll have him on next week Jeff Lloyd the I I I will I mean, he'll, you know, Jeff Lloyd will be back here a couple of uh, uh, Jeff Lloyd the second of course uh, he'll be joining us here coming up uh, in a couple of weeks looking forward to that hopefully we got a game book but I'm, I'm sure we can but uh, thank you for listening uh, hope you tune in again next week as always we thank you for listening and like I say hope you tune in next week for another edition of the Sports Block Podcast Nathan Stack and saying enjoy your summer college football and Labor Day come back